Since I was really young, I collected. Seattle's Mike Rainey and Lisa Petrucci are just your typical couple. It's like a little museum in here. Typical couple who own the world's largest archive of weird movies, create internationally renowned art, and share a passion for pinups from the middle of the last century. That is, one of their collections, a national treasure. Lesbians. Sword fighting. You see, Mike and Lisa are the owners of Something Weird Video, a library that includes thousands of films with titles like Traitor Horny and Color Me Blood Red. It's just a movie. It's just a movie. It's girls with giant hairdos and guys in their underwear. Mike first discovered his life's ambition as a high school dropout running the graveyard shift film projector at an adult theater. I'm afraid our Arthur wasn't quite the sweet boy we thought he he wondered why so few of the charmingly sleazy, offbeat movies he loved were making it onto video. There needed to be someone to come along and resurrect it at all. Mike made it his mission to find forgotten or unwanted films and give them new life. You're damaged merchandise, and this is a fire sale. If a movie is low budget or a B movie, these movies were under the barrel. They were so low, they're down in the sewer. Along the way, Mike met and married Lisa. An innocent young girl provided the answer. When I was younger, I said to myself, I would really just like to have a career where I'm able to combine my love of film and art and popular culture, and never really knew what that job would be until I started working at Something Weird Video, and I feel really fortunate and blessed to be able to be doing what I do. Are you kids make me sick? Something Weird Video is a nostalgic vintage mail-order company that specializes in exploitation films from the 1930s through the 1970s. A lot of the films that, that we have were popular in drive-ins and grindhouses from mid-century through the early 70s. Probably one of the best known is Blood Feast. The crowd would gather at the temple for the great feast. Confessions of a Psycho Cat. Oh, really? Bad Girls Go to Hell. I didn't mean to do it! They're about as low budget as low gets. The ship collided with a planetarian rocket. The company was started in 1990 by my late husband, Mike Franey, when he discovered what a VCR was and that he could actually record movies off television. The first titles that were out on home video were all bootlegs. By the late 1980s, he got the idea to actually try to find films that hadn't been released on home video. So he came into a cache of films up in Everett, which were mostly adult movies for the time period of the 1950s, like Girly Loops and a couple of exploitation feature films, and he released those on home video. I'm the sole source for certain genres of film. I mean, basically, there's other video companies they specialize in dramas, comedies. I specialize in the bottom of the barrel, trash, film that everyone thought was worthless and nobody would have any interest in. It's 1995, and who wants to look at Santo beat up blob monsters from Venus? But we all do, so that's why I exist. Never before has there been an opportunity to see a film such as this. All of this is just an extension of me not wanting to have a boss. 
know an awful lot of guys, Dwayne. We're basically still all kids. But you're different. And we figured out that the thing that made us happiest, we're going to cling on to and somehow make a living out of it. I've shown you. Now you must show me. But of course, my darling. Of course. The most terrifying story ever filmed. For those of you who appreciate this type of cinematic art, thank you. The New Beverly Cinema presents the Pure Cinema Podcast. And we are getting weird. It's getting weird in here. Uh, ever since uh, I heard uh, about the passing of Mike Vrainy, I had it in my head that there should be some sort of tribute, and I'm sure people did their individual tributes, but he is the founder of uh, Something Weird, and so we needed to pick the right person to go on this uh, odyssey with, <laughs> and uh, it didn't take me long <laughs> yep. to come up with uh, Mr. Dan Budnick. Hello, gentlemen. How are you? Thank, uh, you? thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. We've got a copy of your book down here. Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, 80s action movies on the cheap. Yes. Uh, and your podcast. Yes, I, I do I do a couple of podcasts. I do one called The Made for TV Mayhem Show with my podcast partner, Amanda Reyes, who's an author, uh, who has just announced the, the Big Al Adamson box set that Severn is putting out. She co-wrote the booklet in that. Definitely on point for tonight. And that, and, that, that. And, and the, the, co, the uh, co-host of that also, uh, the other co-host is Nathan Johnson, who is on The Hysteria Continues. The oh, very nice. very nice. And then I do, um, I do a podcast on uh, short-lived TV shows called Eventually Super Train. A Happy Days podcast called Rockin' All Week with You, and I do minute by minute podcasts oh. where I, I, I've covered um, Night of Horror, uh, Night to Dismember, Iced, Blood Lake, <laughs> That's one Zombie minute, Lake, one minute minute. Burial Ground. Wait, you did a minute by minute on Last Blood Slumber Lake party? Yeah, it was great. Oh, it that's great. amazing. Okay, I got to check that out. So, so we did that, yeah, and that's uh, yeah, Bleeding Skull, so Night cool. Trash Horror Odyssey, and that's yeah, that's that. I'm that's not cons- that, yeah. I'm not convinced we have the right person for this. Show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we're gonna have to go back to the well. I mean, but I became Holy aware shit. of you from Bleeding Skull. Oh, it's yeah. a it's a book, and you've been on Shockwaves a couple times. Yes, uh, yeah, the book was Bleeding Skull and '80s horror, 1980s trash horror Odyssey, trash horror Odyssey, and they've got a website. Yes, one of the co-authors. Yeah, and they've got. A new the the gang there Joe uh, uh, Annie and Zach have a 90, 1990s trash horror odyssey coming out uh, later this year I, I don't know when exactly Very yes nice. I have it pre ordered from yeah. like last year I don't and know it's, it's a great going. book because you guys do what like I think you have to do which is you try to find the positive and you try to find something to love about the films and you have to you have to enjoy it. there has to be something that you yes. actually enjoy about going through and finding uh, films that are kind of somewhat obscure or lost or uh, wanting of attention yes <laughs> yes we we say in one of the reviews some where we say how how saddened we are when we we find one that we've been hunting for for ages that we just don't like. Yeah, that's yeah. that's too bad. Yeah. Like there's one like Sorority Girls and the Creature from Hell, mm-hmm. which is okay, but you sit there the whole time going, "Come on, be better, yeah. Yeah. be better." <laughs> oh, it doesn't quite get there. Yeah, and and you know that's what this is. I mean, I think all of us are hunters. We love to yes. hunt for mm-hmm. great stuff. We love finding treasures. And I definitely on this episode, I I took the same approach where I wanted to like find some stuff I hadn't seen before. And you and you always will find some piece of treasure. Sometimes it's in a movie that isn't all treasure. Sometimes yes. there's a, a scene or a sequence where you're like, oh my God, yes. what is that special moment? Or, or there's yeah. a filmmaker. There's a couple of filmmakers yeah. I discovered that I knew and I'm kind of late to the party on in some ways because I know people know these guys. But for me, the research was actually the most I've done 
I don't want to say the most, but definitely a high amount of research for me in terms of new stuff to watch mm-hmm. yeah. that I discovered things. And this stuff is below the radar. I mean, it's one thing for when people talk about, well, that's kind of a B movie and or an indie movie. This is yes. this tended to be a different echelon. This tended to be handmade. What was your? Let's just start. Like, what was your first? Um, when did you first come across this label? Because it had one of those logos that I think yes. when we're young you kind of notice it. I. I I think I think I knew of it. I probably saw ads for it like back in magazines and stuff, mm-hmm. like maybe like film threat video or something like uh-huh. that. I'm not 100 sure, but but the first time I actually rented it, I was in. Uh, I think it was late '98, early '99. I was in Eddie Brandt's Saturday matinee, just after they'd moved um, from their location at like Colfax in North Hollywood to Vineland. And there used to be the best stretch of video store in LA. I think used to be from like 1998 to 2004, um, in between Magnolia and Camarillo on Vineland in North Hollywood. On one end was Super Duper Video, which was kind of like an old school video store, which which was one of those stores that had like you know on one shelf it had Pigs and Daddy's Deadly Darling, which are the same movie, you know. And then on the next shelf it would have like Blade of the Ripper and Next, uh-huh. which are yeah, both Strange Vice yeah, and Mrs. Ward, yeah. that kind of thing. And then the other end of the street was odyssey video and oh, then, i know what you're talking about now yeah. and and then in the middle was eddie brands uh-huh. oh wow and one day i was in eddie brands was saturday morning when they used to have donuts and i was i was facing the wall of videos that kind of faces out into the street it's like i to o alphabetically and i turned around and they have all these end caps of stuff that i hadn't noticed before and one of them was all black exploitation that's where i first rented like top of the heap and black devil doll from hell Ooh, nice. but, but ne- next to that was all i don't know how tall it was seven feet tall eight feet t- it was taller than me certainly i'm i'm not that tall uh, but it was certainly taller than me and it was all something weird mm. vhs i mean shelf after shelf and i was looking i'm going oh my god all these titles that i've read about yeah. in psychotronic encyclopedia I films i saw all these things uh the incredibly strange films the research guide yeah. they're like all here and I, I wrote down i rented three right then i remember two of them clearly one i could be wrong on the one i rented house on bear mountain the curious dr hump yeah. and bloody pit of horror and those were the first three I oh, I, get you. I, I saw uh, Curious Dr. Hump was shown in 35 millimeter <gasps> at the Incredibly Strange Film Festival in New Zealand by Ant Thompson. One of the earliest memories had the best, te- like he did the best write up in the guidebook for it. And I've never been that excited about a movie. And that movie <laughs> did not land for me <laughs> yeah. in the way that it was like, even the little creature kind of guy you see, it's like, nope, this is not, not quite what it promised. But yeah. great title. Yes. Fantastic uh, title. That was one of my two earlier ones. But I mean, for me, it was like a uh, basket case being such oh, a high oh, profile. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. title for a lot of us that was like oh I, w- I need to see it mm-hmm. and the, to see it so obviously it's their relationship with Henlauter that made a big difference yeah. but the other one is obviously Herschel Gordon-Lewis I think I think oh, in general for me uh, seeing probably Wizard of Gore and probably Blood Feast is the first mm-hmm. thing that when we're young we're seeking out I think I was like 15 going we gotta see this movie and then you see it on the title called Something Weird and then there's a bit of a snowball but some of the deeper dives I definitely didn't make it to the kind of stuff we'll be talking about tonight mm-hmm. I didn't get to from that initial entry point yeah, yeah I mean, but there's I, so much yeah there's so oh, much yeah. so much and and they're also like responsible for putting things out at one point but like now some of those are with other companies yes so and obviously we're going broad with our definition it was going to be stuff from all over the map yeah if it's ever been released by something weird yeah. it was fair game you yeah. know, not stuff they necessarily have on their site right now yeah uh occasionally there's gonna be a title that may not be available did you care so when you were working at video stores did they carry something weird yes in, okay. well especially well, I worked at Blockbuster in college, and obviously th- that's not, not their mo. Really, <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, but I at the DVD store Laser Blazer I worked at in in circa two thousand. I do remember specifically us getting Blood Feast in yeah, well, and that nice. big red cover and the something weird. Yeah. And I was like, 
oh, I've read about this in Danny Perry. I've read about this in Psychotronic. Yeah. What is this movie? So that was num- that was it. That, I, yeah. It just made me remember what it was, yeah. and that was totally Often it's just like seeing the aesthetic of something, the cover of it. Mm-hmm. It's not always the movies themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and that's it's a great logo. Uh, obviously, we, I had never seen something weird till this episode. Me neither. And I know it's not on our list, so we oh, were going to. Oh, really? Yeah, it's, it's just yeah. like even though you've heard of it all this time, I think it took, mm-hmm. I mean, it's nice to get to see it in a nice edition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a much, I, I kind of prefer it to a lot of his gore films. It's, it's there's something it's, very fun. And, an extraordinary journey into the unknown awaits you. The unimaginably weird, dark universe of ESP, extrasensory perception, crashes into the mysterious depths of black witchcraft in a strange and mysterious motion picture unlike any you've ever seen. Something weird. It's it's like endlessly weird. It just keeps. Yeah. It just get, I mean, it keeps the same pace as all of his films. So you're not right. You know, it's like it's, a guy's working on an electrical line. He gets yes. burned, but oh, through man. the burn on his face, he's now disfigured. But he happens to be a psychic, psychic. now. Yeah, and so then this old hag witch comes up to him and says, "Well, if you become my lover, because that's her big draw card. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> She's I will. Hard up, I, guess. I will get rid of your scars." And then she transformed herself into an absolute knockout. Mm. Uh, of course, he's willing to go down the road there. And then it's like after that, I start forgetting what the plot. After that, I'm like, okay, I know he starts to get involved well, in the a, crime. Yeah, there's a murder yes. investigation, kind of. And, but then it kind of loses, and yeah. becomes much a little bit more about the sex and somebody who wants her. And it's such a, but it, but it had a. His films have kind of an innocent spirit to them, even when they're even when at they're their most grisly. Yes. Yes. You know, one that I rewatched for this that's not on my list was just Gorgo Girls. And oh, the only reason I wanted to bring that up as a story is because um, I was working at Facets in Chicago, and. Uh, there's this older guy and he would come into the store all the time and he's so charming. He's just like one of the most charming older men I've met, like 75 maybe. He'd come in and he was into the only the high-end art house films. And he would always ask me because I was the only one who watched that stuff. So mm-hmm. I'd recommend him these obscure French films and we'd just talk for, and it was, I'm not kidding, it was probably almost a year of me doing that before one day somebody said, oh, you know who that is, right? I said, no, it's the lead of Gorgo Girls. <laughs> Fra- Frank, oh, uh, Frank, uh, what, wow, what his name, yeah. I can't, his name's yeah. slipping me. So watching it again, wow. so at the time I had to watch it straight away because I yeah. hadn't seen that one wow. and he's super charming in that. Yes. You know, it's, a, he's, he's, it's funny because he's definitely a gay man and yet he's playing this like kind of swinging, uh, swinging like, Potentially, it's, it's it's funny with Gorgor Girls is that I've always enjoyed it, but it wasn't until I realized that it's sort of a detective film parody that just happens yeah. to have these yeah. big gore scenes in them. And that, then it clicked for me, and yeah. I was oh, like, nice. "Oh, now I love it!" Yeah, now- and it's also poking fun at it. Mm-hmm. It was the, it was Herschel's last gore film. Yes, so it's like that was kind of the nail in that particular period's coffin. But so that that was another time where it kind of came back to me, like, "Oh, it's because then you look up the guy's filmography, and it's one movie." Mm-hmm. And this is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a lot yes. of filmographies of yes. one person or people who made a type of movie that they kind of knocked out. Uh, there's, I, I, I was just going to read some of this because unfortunately there, there's very little. I was actually a little shocked that there isn't a really great a Mike Rainey documentary yeah. uh, in tribute to all he did because um, this, this was founded in 1990 and it's 2020 so this is the 30th anniversary. So the couple reasons we thought to do this now was uh, A, that, the fact that no one had really uh, you know, I hadn't seen enough tributes to him but also uh, we read I think the thing that triggered for me, we read that at the in December of this year, Lisa Petrucci, who has uh, been running the company ever since, and it's her company, and she was Mike's partner for a long time and the art director, uh, probably because it's a mail order business and been running it out of their mm. house and she has to do it all. They've decided to wrap that part of it mm. December. So the, a lot of the films we're talking about that we ordered for the show on DVR, that part of the business will be wrapping in December. So I think it's kind of nice to be able to do an episode like this and maybe people, you know, a little flood of activity, uh, get some things. Uh, luckily, a lot of these titles, a lot of these prints are now 
because he has this incredible print collection, are going to be put out from Agfa yes. or Arrow or Vinegar Syndrome, um, Severin. So, you know, a lot of the, some of them that we're t- talking about today are already there. Anyway, I came across an interesting quote because I think I think sometimes you'll hear people who work at Blu-ray companies just always touting, oh, this is the best thing. <laughs> and Mike Rainey, you know, I think he has a, a much more open and realistic view. So somebody asked him, uh, what's your opinion on the movies you put out? Are they neglected classics or kitsch? And Vrainy says, no, I actually look at them as a window into an era. The best ones are the ones where they rented the gear on Friday and returned it on Monday, and they have a finished movie. Because of that, they captured trends and fads that were happening at the moment more accurately than movies that took a year to make. I'm just fascinated with the whole genre. I don't think I have any classics, but as a genre, it's important that these movies aren't lost. When I got into the business, everyone told me, yeah, all those movies from the 50s and 60s, there are barely any prints made, and they're all thrown away, and they're all gone. Well, how can that be? That's like a weird crime. That fueled my fire. Plus, the movies kick ass. Barely any of them hold up on their own individually, but collectively, they're fascinating. That's why so many people collect virtually everything I put out because it's all interrelated. It's a weird little world. And I think that like sums it up pretty perfectly. Though I'll disagree with one thing. I think they might not have classics, but there's absolutely gems in there. Oh, yes. There's cult classics, of course. Yeah. But I saw a couple that I would come to argue when we get down to it. I I think I like about when he says that sort of cumulative uh, thing. It almost reminds me of like a good good TV show. Maybe not a modern one where everything is serialized, but if you go back, it's like Gunsmoke or, you know, something that ran Beverly Hillbilly, something that ran for years. Watching one episode, you may not get much out of it, but if you watch a season, if you, it sort of accumulates and suddenly it's it's like it's this big, and that's sort of what what these movies are like. Watching one, watching Diary of a Nudist yeah. probably is going to do much for you. <laughs> yeah. But if you watch five or six more nudist colony movies, that could be your thing. Yeah, yeah. that could you be. Just and don't you need know. to watch all of them. Sometimes you do have to get into the world, even with mm. westerns. When we're doing well, westerns, you have yes. to watch a bunch. You know? Yeah, I was telling you that like it took me a minute to kind of, and it, it's not meant to denigrate the quality of the films necessarily, but you are dealing with a different level of filmmaking. Yeah. And yes, we've watched low-budget movies, and you can dip in and out of that from time to time. But I feel like that cumulative effect thing applies when with the research for this. Mm-hmm. I, it took me a minute, because there was, especially when I was start, starting to put my list together, I, it took me a minute to find the ones that I was clicking with. Yeah. Yeah. And at a point, after I'd done some research, I came back to a couple, and, and I was like, oh, okay, this this falls into place a little better now. Mm-hmm. So it totally lines up this idea of doing these in bunches and making it, you know, kind of an ongoing project ultimately. And some feel like total something weird, like, like weird cult things. I, some of the titles I know that are on a couple of our lists are like just perfectly. And, and yes. then some are like, well, I don't With know how they even from. have this yeah. movie. Cause yeah. it's a good, like little thriller mm-hmm. saying how did it land on their shores? It mm-hmm. doesn't matter. It did. Uh, obviously a lot of nudists, a lot of like soft core. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I did watch that isn't a pick, but because it's too recent, but is a great primer for this is uh that sexploitation mm, which is on yes. blu-ray yeah. and it's actually produced by something weird in mike yeah. rainey but the reason that's so good is it's really just david friedman who is like the godfather of smut in this case uh walking you through that whole period and with with henenlaw yeah i was gonna say and so henenlaw is like interviewing him basically mm-hmm. and it's like you know it's amazing to have a resource like friedman yeah. and it's tons of clips it's, it's a little too long for what it is but it's fascinating and what's so great about it the second they get to the first hardcore movie it ends they go and then the first hardcore and we're done they're like there's no point even talking about the stuff because hardcore is not the same mm-hmm. genre or subgenre they go from nudie nudie cuties and so i think it's a good primer if somebody's looking for that that is available on this site too yeah i liked it call. i thought it was pretty interesting that's a good call um the other one I, before we start, the other one I saw on 35 mil that I've never forgotten probably is my 
defining viewing experience, but I would not, you couldn't pay me to rewatch it for the show, uh, is Psyched by the 4D Witch on 35 millimeter. <laughs> Ant Timpson showed it, and in his guidebook, he said, I, and I always, and when I brought this up to him recently, he denied it completely. They claimed that this was the print that was found on the man, on the uh, Spawn Ranch. After the Mansons were evicted, they found the only print of it in a canister, in a thing. Somebody, I think, even in a coffin or some bullshit. Uh-huh. And so that's why I went to it. I was like 20 years old, went to this movie, and my God, it has a great theme song. So beware of the 4D witch, beware. She's in your mind, she's everywhere. She came from the belly of the devil's bitch. Beware of the 4D witch. <laughs> I love that theme song, but but it does encapsulate what they do. It's like mm-hmm. 16 mil, no one on it has ever worked on another film. Yes. Uh, Victor Lumiere wrote, directed. It's just shot like this artifact, not like a movie per se. It feels more like some recording of an acid trip. I, yeah, I was going to, in in one of my picks, I was going to mention that briefly. I'll, mm. I'll, I'll save that for them. We'll <laughs> that, it, it's it's something. When you get to see these movies and they have the weird voiceover and stuff, so there's just some hallmarks that will probably come up over a lot of our films that are like stylistic. But I think what Rainey's saying about it looks like they shot it on a weekend, it's like that could be good or it could be bad. I mean, at the end of the day, you can angle for the idea that people that are aspiring to make films that have never done so, I mean, there's a small part of an inspirational thing here. Yeah. It's just like, these people did it. They oh, yeah. fucking made yeah. this movie. Now, you can argue the quality of it and the craftsmanship, but they did it. Did you make a movie? Yeah. You know, totally. And if you haven't, it's just the kind of thing where you're like, I need to just get off my ass and make something. Yeah. Not because I can make a better movie, but because... It's just, this shows me I can do it. I, yeah. I can do this. And the difference was, and for people wondering why this doesn't still happen, it was because these were could go straight onto screens. Yes. So if you made something in three days, it, it only is worth it because it could go to a drive-in. Mm-hmm. And therefore, there was a chance to make profit and real money or tour with your film. Nowadays, obviously, it's a totally different market. But that was how this model was working, and it, and it kind of worked. The only note I made for myself after watching these movies, the only thing I wrote down about this as a whole was this idea, which I think Rainey maybe is saying himself, which was... This realization of this kind of almost as a universe, like what you're talking about, is that Hollywood movies are what we want America to look like, what mm-hmm. we want America to be, what we want to export to the world. And these are what America really yes. is. Yes. Because these are artifacts of our awkwardness, yes. uh, like sexual awkwardness, yep. of our passions, our perversions. It, it's like so interesting because they're not even the same genre. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> we use the word movie, but they're not even the no, same genre. Well, you also that. get a very genuine snapshot of. Uh, culture and clothing mm-hmm. and oh, yeah. it's it they're rarely production designed you and know carnivals, <laughs> and carnivals. <laughs> lots of carnivals yeah. and lots of LSD <laughs> those are, yeah those are some some of the most beautiful moments in these yeah. are when you when you see something like I, I've got one of my choices coming up here yeah. where there's a there's a moment in it where it's it's a sh- certain genre that I'll talk about but there's a moment in it where you go. I didn't know that kind of thing happened. You don't see that in like the, the mainstream. I'll, I'll, I'll get to it when I get no, no, to it. I'm I'll curious. surprise. But, but you're uh, right. Like People like us who have seen, if you've seen a lot of movies, at a certain point you do feel a bit like, eh, show me something I haven't seen. And these movies, every single one of them, I saw at least something. a moment that I was like, nope, didn't know that was going to happen. Yeah, this is somebody who's outside the, the filmmaking mainstream and is just doing what they're mm-hmm. doing and going on instinct or their idea of what a film should be. And I, I, there's something remarkable about that. And the that. thing with like Psych by the 4D Witches, they made a weird movie and then they 
like smeared weird stuff on top of on it. The lens, so yeah. so it's almost like they made a great sandwich and then they dipped it in something weird, <laughs> you know, like chocolate or something. And you're like, oh, what is this? You yeah. know, it's just what did you do? It's cinematic au jus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Nice. That's well said. But uh, well, let's get it because I think we're gonna learn a lot just by the random. I think we're gonna probably touch lots of different genres here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think just mine alone. I know I touched on every genre I could. <laughs> I tried to. Yeah. Dan, you kick it off. What's oh, your sure, yeah. What's your number five spot? Okay, this 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 was one that um, uh, I, I I first. Saw well, I first discovered this. There, there, there used to be a site. I don't know if it's still around called Jabutu, the Bad Movie Dimension. Oh, and back in 2002, I read a review on the site. I think the man who ran the site, his name was Ken, and he reviewed a film called Jungle Hell. Oh. It was a Sabu film from mm. the mid 50s. I think it was meant to be like two episodes of a new Sabu show that didn't happen that they edited together. Hmm. And it's really weird and there's lots of elephants and radiation and UFOs. It's a really strange <laughs> movie. But but the 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 main thing, I, I've seen it, it's fun. Um, but the main thing I remember in the review is he the guy saying, this film has more stock footage in it than any other film I've seen except for Devil Monster. Oh. <laughs> so immediately I had to find Devil Monster. Uh-huh. Robert! I know Jose lives. Man and woman found dead on beach of lonely Galapagos Island. Louise, I love you. Why can't we get... Please, Robert. Not yet. Well, suppose I can prove that Jose... Well, that he'll never return. And Devil Monster is, and I found some information out about it since then, um, which makes it slightly less interesting to me, but I'll, I'll tell you what's going on. So when you start to watch it, it's Devil Monster, copyright 1946. But then when you start to watch it, the acting look, looks like it's straight out of an early 30s film. Oh. <laughs> and especially if you think like the leading lady has sort of like, almost like Thelma Todd hair. Huh. You know, and you're like, in 1946, weird, you know, that yeah. was Veronica Lake and stuff like that. that, that that's huh. a little weird. And all the acting is sort of that early 30s, very overly mannered style acting but it says copyright 46 and then about half the film is like National Geographic style stock footage I believe like from the 20s oh my gosh and so the basic premise behind the film is very, is very simple it's like a, it's like a, a, a seacoast town and there is a guy named Jose who went missing and Jose's fiance and mother want this ship to find Jose lost in like the South Seas and so the ship goes out and one of the guys on the ship um, is in love with the fiance, and they basically go traveling from island to island. It's almost like Herman Melville's uh, novel Mardi, M-A-R-D-I, um, where they go from island to island looking for someone. Except this is pretty dumb, and, <laughs> and they go they go from island to island, and eventually they find Jose, and they learn of this thing called the Devil Monster, which is a giant manta ray. And there, there's a stretch in the movie where for about 13 minutes, it's nothing but stock footage. They're like, they leave the... And so we went out into the South Seas and we visited the first <laughs> island and it's literally 13 minutes of stock footage. And then there's like a like a, um, uh, like a like a giant moray eel and an octopus like have a fight in like a aquarium because the octopus kind of keeps going up against the side <laughs> of, of the thing, That's which is very weird. Edward, yeah, yeah and, and, and it's just, it goes on for so... It, uh, to the point where you forget what is meant to be happening in the film. <laughs> and when they actually like, we kept looking for Jose and you're like, oh yeah, Jose. And then when they kind of find him, they take 10 minutes out to fish for tuna because oh, that's wow. what the ship does. They get stock footage uh, of tuna the, fishing? Tuna fishing. And, 
and it just goes on. And th- and then the weirdest thing about it is they they'll have random footage of like um, like native women, like topless native women, like you would see like in National Geographic stuff and like yeah. documentaries. Like, and they would put that in there. To, and it, it but it's so weird because it's like 1946, but it looks like it's the 30s, and the footage is from the like the 20s, huh. and it's these topless women, which because it was like that sort of footage, they they weren't like like with nudist colony footage, they weren't yeah. called it because it wasn't sexual. But it's still weird because you're watching this movie going, wow, 10 minutes of footage of islands and guys. And, and you could tell the moment that stock footage stops when the chief of the village suddenly becomes a white guy in makeup. <laughs> the moment it becomes a goofy white guy going, ah, oh, yes, welcome to my island. You're like, okay, now this yeah, is yeah. the footage again. So <laughs> Devil Bond is just, it's only like 65 minutes. <laughs> And it's just, it's one of those films that it's never terribly exciting, even during the the ending, which I don't want to ruin, but I might, where Jose fights the manta ray. And it's actually like footage of like a manta ray and they somehow like project him on top of it. So it's this really weird footage of like this guy like stabbing Stabbing. at nothing (laughs) as underneath him. This like, it's really, and, and it's, um, it's. It's a film I I have learned since then uh, one or two things about that it was actually originally a film made in the mid 30s that for some reason someone got hold of in the mid 40s add all the stock footage to and just completely screwed it up. Oh. So it's this weird <laughs> 65 minute adventure that I've probably watched maybe a half a dozen times. Oh, wow. And it's just you, it's it's one of those things. It's not a favorite, but it's such a curiosity that it's just like you sit there going. Oh wow! What in the hell is this? And it's it's I I I recommend it. It's like it's not like we're going to mention titles that are kick ass and that you need to watch. This is this is why this is my number five. Well, this is this is a man who understands the concept of five films. Yes, because yeah, that's what I we feel do. like you've heard this before. You yeah. at least did your research. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, um, I haven't seen that one or heard of that one. So, but it does sound like it has some in common with Ed Wood's approach. You know, of how you can kind of intermingle this yes. kind of stock footage with uh, Bella Lugosi and the Octopus. Um, well. Well, my number five, I had to wrestle, speaking of Belagosi mm. and an octopus wrestling, I had to wrestle this title out of your uh, bloody hands because this is one we both oh, would have picked. So I'm happy to, I want to hear your, your thoughts on that. This is the only one on my list that I had seen before and couldn't do this list without. That's why it's in the number five. So I think it's the most definitively something weird title of the films I've picked. Uh, and that is, well, let me just tell you what something weird VHS says on the back. The oh. world's only turkey, monster, anti-drug, pro-Jesus gore film. <laughs> And you need to know nothing else about this. Yeah, I help. might as well stop talking. The film is blood free. You got me hooked. And you're going to keep me splat. Got it? Hey, I got a bastard here. Now you listen to me. If you don't keep me supplied, I'm going to break every bone in your miserable body. See, blood freak, horrifying, addicted monster whose thirst for an addict's blood will lead you to a horror beyond belief. Blood freak. To survive, addicts must die. Yeah. Uh, directed by Brad <laughs> F. Grinter and and apparently actor Steve Hawks, the main guy, apparently yes. did some directing. He, yes, he did. Yeah. Uh, and this is Florida, right? Yes. But where yes. all good things happen. That's what go he, to we die. were talking about. Florida previously. I, I, I immediately thought I was talking about Florida Noir last time, and now all I think about is all these movies were set in Florida. I wonder what started that trend because Herschel Gordon Lewis was Florida and Floridian. Floridian. Doris Wishman was there occasionally. Doris Wishman was there for yeah. a bit. Yeah. So so it, it is curious that, that of all the places because it's not a place I think of usually as. Uh, you know, LA, obviously, LA, New York. Uh, anyway, this movie, like it says, it's fascinating because, and, and 
I would skip ahead if you're a stoner. Don't listen. It's going to be scary. Um, this is a movie that does not <laughs> yes. like your drugs. Yes. Um, this oh, is a movie man. where it got, it's funny because most of these movies are about acid and LSD trips. And it's so funny to watch one where <laughs> marijuana is treated in such an insane way. Yes. So it's basically a guy on a motor, a very good looking kind of handsome, uh, a big kind of stud dude is uh, riding a motorbike, uh, runs into some girl. I don't even know why she pulls over. Yeah, they don't car make breaks the, down. Yeah, oh, car okay. breaks down. But he doesn't do anything to fix it. No, really. no, not really. Yeah. If I remember correctly. She says, come to my friend's, my sister's party or whatever. They go to a party uh, and somebody brings out weed and offers him a joint. He's a, he's an ex-vet, I think, or something. Offers him a head and he's just, oh, no. Oh, no, I don't do that. He's not going to mess around with the weed. Um, so, he's, you know, it's a, from the start, it's pretty safe on that level. Uh, but eventually... Well, she's a Jesus freak, too. She's a Jesus yes. They're all kind she's of Jesus freaks. So, so that, that, well, her sister's not. Except the sister. Yeah, yeah right. So she's not. the one into partying. <laughs> um, and then when does he actually take his first hit? Uh, when the sister's uh, seducing, seducing him. him. She convinces yeah. him. Right, yeah. seducing yeah. him. Of course, you're going to go down that road. Uh, he, <laughs> she's pretty cute. She, she reminds is, me yeah. of, um, uh, not, the, not the Love Witch, but... Um, the one who directed it. Anna Biller. Yeah, Anna Biller. That's who she looked like. I totally agree. Anna Biller. Like, I, I think from both, Viva, both Viva. the sisters. I think the the Jesus Freak sister. I think she was in Flesh Feast. Okay, I believe, okay. which was also Brad Gritner. Uh-huh. Believe, okay, okay. Um, but he, anyway, needless to say, he tries the weed. Mm. Um, so with sex and the weed, and uh, eventually that means you're going to have to get a job to support your <laughs> weed habit. And he chooses to get a job at a uh, turkey farm. Where there are also two scientists, the doing, goofiest, <laughs> goofy scientists who are doing a weird experiments uh, on the meat. What are they doing? Like a drug, some sort of. They're injecting it with something or other, yeah. and and I, I don't even remember why. Just to get him to eat it, I and think they it's pay him early KFC. I think yeah, <laughs> they pay him to try the meat, which is I think all fine, and uh, it doesn't have a great reaction. What happens to him? He he has a seizure, yeah. and then eventually. Uh, I, I, I think it's. I think it's all fair game here. Oh, really? We got to hook people. You wanna, on You want to tell them the? Oh ending? my god, the cover! No, don't the, tell me the ending. Okay. Good. No, what happens to him? He oh, becomes yeah. a giant turkey. Yes. yes. We can't. <laughs> he has a giant turkey. I mean, I turkey think, head. Turkey, turkey head. head. Turkey I saw this uh, just before Thanksgiving <laughs> this year for the first time, and I was like, oh, this could become the classic Thanksgiving I mean, movie. It's a pretty great movie to watch on Thanksgiving. It's pretty gross. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles has a better ending, but yeah. Blood Freak is better up until. I, the I think Planes, Trains is a loose remake. Yeah. So I think John Hughes owes him some money. And the reason he actually took the job eating meat was to support the weed habit because yes. they said we'll pay you in weed mm-hmm. so so that so it's all very related but anyway he becomes he gets this giant uh, turkey which is a pretty fun pretty fu- i actually think it's a pretty cool looking i mean yes. for such a grimy yeah. gritty uh 60 millimeter shot looking film but then uh what he now has a taste for is not the marijuana oh, it's boy. blood yes. of addicts yes so it's yes. not just anyone he needs to drink the blood of somebody who's a drug addict it seems like ev- even at recently after they've gotten high too. yeah so the, like, it's in the blood i guess right i get that yeah i get that I, that's yeah. everyone's had that moment in college and there's uh, a lot of him like <laughs> what, yeah with, like, like, like blood pouring into his hands mm-hmm. and him lifting him up to the turkey yeah yep. beacon yep. And oh stuff it's just and, so strange uh, <laughs> so and so strange. as you can imagine there's some there's some like gore there's some like okay horror beats in it that are interesting but really it's one of those movies and i and i never use the term so bad it's good so it's not that but i do remember when i wrote on letterboxd this is the first I've heard, I just I gave it two stars. Like this is a two star film, but it's a four star experience, yeah. and I think it's very important for people to understand that's the difference. Yes, like this is entertaining. It's strange. It's funny. It's awkward. It's completely incompetent at some moments, and then other moments you're like, oh, that's actually a pretty interesting mm-hmm. filmmaking moment. And so you have to take it all <laughs> together. Yes. Uh, but what, when were you? Because I only saw this last year for the first time. I I, uh, I think I think I'd seen the video box, which uh, the, before something weird released it, which is like 
a picture of like a drawing of like like a, a street and like it looks like New Orleans or uh-huh, something, yeah. and like there's a woman screaming in the foreground. Totally different and, than what and you it, get. Yeah, yeah and it, it never grabbed my attention. But then I think when something weird, maybe in like 2000 or something, first offered it on VHS, I I read the back of it and I'm like I have to have this, and it showed. <laughs> it, and I think it came out on DVD like three months after I did that. Yeah, but it, but it was like I bought it and I thought this is so much fun. I do. Th- it's one of those weird movies where um I absolutely enjoy it, but it's not. It doesn't go anywhere fast, kind yeah. of. And also, it's a weird intro. Well, in this case, a catalyst is a person that will bring about changes. They could be good or bad, but there will be changes. You can meet one almost anywhere in your everyday life in a supermarket, drugstore, anywhere. Even riding down the Florida Turnpike. A pretty girl with a problem. Who could resist? Certainly not Herschel. I love these oh, yeah. films actually have somebody a direct address. It's not just address. an intro. He's like throughout the movie. Yeah. Yes. And at one, somebody's put it on YouTube and it's hilarious. There's a part where for about 20 seconds he just coughs. Yep. Because yep. he's smoking and he's actually coughing for real and they keep it in the movie and you're yep. like, wow, they didn't have enough footage to get to yeah. that. Just like, yeah, we're mark. not doing another take. Yeah, it's, it's Br- yeah, Brad Grittner, the co- yeah. co-director. He he does a little... That's him in those scenes. Yeah, he, oh, does, yeah. A little, he does a little narration kind of lead you into it. Because and, it is kind of a warning against it. Clearly yes. this is made by somebody who's worried about the changing yes. time of hippiedom. Yeah. Uh, but it comes off as, in a lot of ways, the opposite and it, it turns you away from Jesus and turns you like you said to KFC or something it's a, it's a weird <laughs> yeah it's 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 there are films that are as weird that that move quicker mm-hmm. but this one if you if you get in sort of the right space for it yeah for like the 85 minutes or whatever it is yeah. I don't think it's that, is it that long I, I don't remember. I hope it's that it's on prime uh, if you want to yeah. check it out there's a mm, okay print on but to be honest like you don't need a no, glorious print of blood freak but it's a great relationship tester I think you like before you get married watch this with a partner <laughs> if they can't can't handle it what's the point yes. like if they can't do blood freak with you and and, and the the great thing is the lead guy steve Haw- Haw- steven yeah. hawks steve hawks he had just come from making two spanish tarzan films that's which right. i that's am right. dying to see yeah. and wow. that's why he has the burns on his arms because yeah. he got burned when he was making them oh geez. i think that comes up like in the movie or it could be yeah. lying about that maybe but but but, but it, it makes sense why he's such a buff kind of yeah, yeah he could i could yeah. totally see him playing a spanish tarzan yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it works oh, and then one last fact uh the character's name is herschel which is definitely yes. named after Herschel oh, Gordon Lewis, I, yeah. which is just great because it's this weird universe of these guys influencing each other, like yeah. people yeah. making stuff for the drive-in and then going, "Yeah, we could do that," you know. <laughs> and then four do, days in a turkey match. And they do the scene with the guy who gets his leg cut off, and he just screams yeah. oh, as he yeah. holds his leg for eight minutes, ten minutes. I don't know how long that scene goes on for. Yeah, no, this is this is like pure uh, something weird in my in my mind. Yeah, no, I think yeah. this is a great starting point. You got to throw it out there because yeah. a lot of my titles, I've tried to find actual gems, movies mm-hmm. that might be actually you know, so some people like great movies, mm-hmm. and you know. You had to do some digging yeah. to do that. <laughs> I, I was I was originally going to uh, instead of Devil Monster when I switched out Blood Freak. I was going to do She Freak. All oh, right, you did the David Friedman film. But the thing with that is that that that's a remake of Freaks. And if you go into that thinking, man, this is going to be the best thing since Todd Browning's Freaks, it ain't. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's actually a, a love letter to the carnivals and the carnies. So if you kind of ignore the Freak remake, which is kind of bland, and just watch them putting together the Ferris wheels and watch them. Uh, well, and it's also, in some ways, you could almost see if, not a prequel or a sequel, but imagine it's set at the same time 
imagine Freaks. Freaks is a film told from the point of view of the freaks. Mm-hmm. This is told from the point of view of the one woman who ends yes. up trying to use the freaks in the original and then is uh, t- you know turned into one of them. So this whole movie just follows this woman who's kind of like a bit of a bitch yeah. and doesn't really get along with everyone. She has. I watched this one too, and I thought it, I thought it was going to make your list, so it is worth mentioning because it is another classic. Mm-hmm. But but it, the last like four minutes, it's pretty dull. But the last four minutes is exactly the ending of Freaks, yes. and it's really good. Yes. <laughs> it's yeah. a really good. So it yeah, holds up in color. You know? And I, I'm I'm crazy about like the just watching them do the, the put the carnival stuff together. Yeah. I I went a long time ago. I had a temp job that lasted a week. It was in a warehouse doing something or other. And halfway through the week, I learned that a guy was working with his name was Kirby. And I I haven't met a lot of guys named Kirby. It's a fun name. <laughs> I found out that what he did when he wasn't doing this was he was in charge of the tilt a whirl oh, at yeah. at a carnival thing that went up and down the west coast. So I literally spent the next twenty minutes like, so how fast can it go? Can you get people to throw up? Yeah. Can you get how, how long does it take to put together? How long does it take? To, and after twenty minutes, he just stopped, looked at me, and said, "Why do you want to know all this?" <laughs> like I was like, yeah. he, like with this, yeah, like, so as a spy or something. I was like, I just wanted to know. I just, I just thought it sounded just like a carnival it's fan. fascinating. So, so she freak. Yeah, the 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 actual she freak remake part of it. You might be a little dulled by that, but watching to me, it's fascinating watching all the yeah. carnival footage, and that's why yeah. David Friedman he says in the commentary that's why he made it as sort of a love letter to that yeah oh, and, and this cool. is where you see all this footage that's just this real document this and a couple yes. others one i think comes up later you, it's fascinating like it's not that compelling as a film sometimes but as you're watching the stuff you're like oh these are just b-roll of real people yes. at weird carnivals yeah. that we would never see now mm-hmm. there'd be so much more polished than this now mm-hmm. which is a shame you lose that sense of i, I wish i'd been there live for some of that stuff yeah, you know? yeah. no that's a good uh, this is a good start i'm gonna go with my weirdest movie first i think um, and it's called Shriek of the Mutilated, yes. 1974. <laughs> I also watched that for this episode and yeah. knew you were playing it. Yes. Oh, I love it. Yes, it is. Uh, it's a Bigfoot movie, and um, it's so interesting. I watched it. I rewatched it on Amazon Prime. I have a Bigfoot collection that has the movie. This is just a major aside, but. It has some weird footage at the front of the movie that's not on the real print. Do you know what I'm oh. talking about, Dan? Is it the the head? The, yeah, yeah, yeah. What is that about? I, I thought, I, yeah, that that because that was when I rented that on video way back in the day. That wasn't on there, but then that showed up on one of the prints, mm. like the scene. With the, and I don't know if that's the actual opening that's always been oh, missing. Oh, interesting. Possibly, I I really mm. don't so know. I didn't, it, I didn't rewatch it. There is a there is a uh, decapitation mm-hmm. that's just kind of whoa. Happens. Yeah, it's a good. It definitely gets your attention. So I think. You know, if you watch it on Prime, you won't have that. If you watch it on DVD, you will. I don't know if it lines up with the rest of the narrative because if you watch it without, it makes a little more sense. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't have to. Um, but yeah, it's basically a story of a group of college students who are led by one of their professors to this remote. I think it's an island, right? They I say so. island. I believe so. Yeah. It says uh, on IMDb. It says in the mountains, but it's on an island, as far as I remember. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I it's a forget. professor I, leading I, think, them. I know Night of the Demon is on an island. Oh, no, you know what? It's definitely on an island because I remember there's a point where they're talking about having the Yeti trapped and they have a map of the island. They're like, oh, he must be in one of okay. these caves and he can't go anywhere. So, yeah, it's definitely an island. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a very... I don't, clunky is a is a word that you could use, but <laughs> yes. you know, let's just skip that because a lot of these movies are going to yeah, be that. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's it's very intriguing to to hear this professor talk to his students, to see yes. the way the students relate to each other, and then once they get out to the actual cabin, they meet another guy who's got a strange uh, Native American manservant. Um, very odd. Um, but he talks about having heard the Yeti the night before. Tell us about the noises you heard. Do you really think? that it is a yeti out there? It's the damnedest thing, Ernst. 
If it isn't a Yeti, I can't imagine what it could be. Its roar is unlike any animal I've ever known. It's too high-pitched for a grizzly bear. It's more raucous than a moose. Sometimes it almost sounds like something human, like someone wounded crying for help. I've seen the track, although it had been muddied by rain. It's inordinately large, with the middle toe extended, not unlike the Yeti you described in your papers. You said you heard it two nights ago? It was about four in the morning. For some strange reason, I woke up. I came downstairs, went in the kitchen to fix myself some tea. While I was drinking the tea, I heard it. Very far off, but quite distinct. It was growling. I turned off the lights to the house and waited. About 10 minutes passed, and I heard it again, much louder. But then, yeah, they go off and people, people start to get killed by the Yeti, and uh, they actually use parts of them to, <laughs> to, as bait for the Yeti later, which I always thought was a real classy move, <laughs> to use somebody's leg or something. Oh, yeah. No, and then there's a crazy home invasion yes. Yeti sequence, which yes. is the part which will stick in your brain. Yes. Because it's actually, the Yeti looks pretty cool. Yeah. It's all white. But but there's a scene in the, in the first third of this movie, this is the part that stuck with me, and I wish it was like clipped on the internet, where a guy, I can't remember how he's tied to the rest of the plot, but where he has lost his mind a bit, and he's gone home and beaten his partnered to death yes. or he thinks he's killed her then he gets in the bath yes, yes, and then yeah. she like unplugs she unplugs the toaster and slowly it's the slowest murder scene I've ever seen she keeps inching the toaster towards him as she's dying and I'm watching the scene going how does this relate to the I have no idea how it relates to the rest I of the I think problem. he's the guy that was on the first expedition, expedition? Yeah. So yes. did he go and he crazy? went yeah he went crazy okay. because he saw horrible yeti okay. killings I guess but and that part's gold it's yes. so funny no, and strange just his it's, story that he he yeah. tells a story at this party with these kids and freaks everybody out <laughs> and and then they go home and he's still kind of in shock mm-hmm. from telling the story and having it brought up again and yeah then he gets into it with her and yeah, then she kills that part, him that part like left me like wow that was a great scene but what it, is, is it is it did michael finley direct yes that? michael yes. finley okay, dp shot by roberta okay. finley who obviously made some films i think better films than he made ultimately yeah. um but it's they're a great filmmaking couple i, I think that was one of their things like with the flesh trilogy and was it the ultimate degenerate they had these really weird <laughs> killings that would happen and to me that like that killing there yeah. with the bathtub is like whoa this is the, they just like it they set it up and they do it and they go for it yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah absolutely but it's got a little bit of a not to give away anything it's got a little bit of a twist ending that's pretty hilariously interesting and uh it's kind of a big twist yeah it is <laughs> it is kind of um but regardless it's yeah. it's a really entertaining it's one of yeah. the more entertaining yeti films yeah. i've seen and i like those as a sub genre i haven't seen enough yeah. but dan's seen a lot more in fact. i have i have yeah. it's it's a fair i do like that one quite a bit i'm, I'm a big fan of night of the demon yeah. Um, oh yeah that's great curse of bigfoot is is not good but it's certainly audacious in its own strange yeah. demon way. warp is great demon warp is that's a lot like fun. legitimately fun movie yeah. also bonkers. yeah I, i'm a you big fan. trivial pursuit opening scene yeah, yeah. with george yeah. kennedy george, george kennedy yes. <laughs> can't yeah. beat that scene nope. yes sasquatch um, the legend of bigfoot uh-huh. which is the document fake documentary i really like it's it's just it's it's one of those things you know they're never going to find Bigfoot yeah. <laughs> so it's just you yeah. just have to enjoy watching them for 90 minutes and hey yeah. sometimes I do yeah mm. no it's Shriek of the Mutilated is a blast yeah. it's good yeah. times what's next on your uh, little list there Dan alright number four we are going to go um, actually we're going to go to Florida <laughs> alright thank God um, I, I didn't mean to go to Florida so many th- well I don't go there that many times um, and I'm going to go with one of the films by the great uh, Rene Martinez Jr. oh yeah who made Super Soul 
Brother, which has an uh, alternate title that I can't say. Yeah. And um, uh, The Guy from Harlem. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. And this is his other film. I've seen both of those, so... This is his, 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 as far as I know, this is his only other film that I know of. It's Road of Death. I know you've been going out on me. No lady of mine goes out on me. I'll never tell you, even if you do kill me. Don't worry, I'm not going to waste you. I'm going to kill you in front of the gang. When was the last time we really raised some hell? Where's Lisa at? Oh, man. Where's Lisa? Come on, I thought shoot. I said, where's Lisa? Jack's place, man. Jack's place? Yeah. Who's... The scenes you have just witnessed are from the motion picture, Road of Death. It's a story that had to be told sooner or later. We're telling it now. Now see Carol Connors in Road of Death. This exciting motion picture is coming to this theater. See Road of Death. Road of Death. Road of Death. Road of Death. Which stars Carol Connors who was in, I think that's her name, who was in Deep Throat. She played the nurse in Deep Throat. She was also in a couple of, she, she did porno, and she was in a couple of films as a character named Candy. Hmm. Like Candy goes to Hollywood hmm. and can't, something else. And the leading man in that, I forget his first name, his last name is Birch. And Carol and him got married. And there's a theory, I don't know if it's true, that Thora Birch oh. is their daughter. Hmm. I don't know if that's true or not. <laughs> wow. It would be very amusing podcast, if it was. For the sake of podcast, totally true. Yep. <laughs> um, and, and, Print the legend. <laughs> and so it's, this is 1973, and it's, it starts off like a biker film. And you get a bunch of guys in a gang, and um, uh, they meet up, and they're going to overthrow their leader because they're sick of their leader. And uh, the guy who overthrows the leader takes his old lady the leader's old lady, and um, they're, they dr- they drive around a lot. On, they, you drive around on motorcycles, you cycle around on your motorcycles. Yeah. They just, they're just not having a good time. And then after about 15 minutes of that, you meet uh, Carol Connor's character and the guy, and um, uh, Mr. Birch is in a band called The Joe Banana Thing. <laughs> And they play good title. And you, I, I would, I don't know if you can YouTube and find any Joe Banana Thing songs, but they are. I don't know if they're a great band. I was gonna, <laughs> I was gonna sing. So it's, it's just like a crazy love. love yeah and they're kind of they're bouncing around the stage with this giant inflatable banana behind them <laughs> the bassist looks like a zombie and they're just like oh my god and they play a lot of songs and joe banana and his girlfriend and and the other two the two stars they have like a bob carroll ted and alice kind of thing where they all hang out <laughs> nice. together and they sleep in the same bed together and then eventually one day they go out to the middle of nowhere to party and they get attacked by the bikers and 
things go a little strange. So is it a biker film, biker revenge film? Uh, or? It starts off like a biker okay. film, and then it becomes following these two couples as they kind of fool around. And it doesn't become sexploitation quite, uh. but it almost does. But then Joe Banana thing will play another song. You'll be like, okay, Joe Banana, <laughs> I got it. And and But then eventually the, the, they kind of dovetail the, the two things, and it, then it becomes, becomes kind of like they attack the women and... Um, uh, Mr. Birch kind of goes after the biker's revenge style. Got it. And, um, and there's a sequence, and this this is that thing I mentioned earlier where, you know, you can watch, not that bikers were, the biker movies were completely like super legitimate style things, but there are your main biker films you can watch. And I don't remember this happening in any one of them, but there's a sequence where they're, the 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 couple, two couples are attacked by the bikers. The bikers take off and leave them kind of just like oh in the middle of this field. Oh, what are we going to do now? And then Mr. Birch stands up and goes, "Wait a minute! One of the bikers dropped his wallet." <laughs> and they pick up the wallet and there's his driver's license with his address. <laughs> so he goes to his house and he tries to kill him. And he's like, "Wow, really? I would. I mean, I always think of bikers like like in like Werewolves on Wheels, where they're like these almost existential weird guys just out in the desert like in the, this strange. Can space. you imagine them at the DMV? I gotta yeah, get this renewed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, but it's just like, I never thought the big twist. Would, that's like that's almost like a Hershey Gordon Lewis style yeah, thing, yeah. you know, where it's like, oh, the guy will drop his wallet. <laughs> okay. like totally anticlimactic. Yeah. yeah. So so. I think it's a lot of fun. I mean, if you if you know, yeah, the other Renee Martinez Jr. films, he's got sort of um, his his films just go off on tangents, and they you never quite think they're going to come back to where they're supposed to be. And like when when they show the guys, like like there's a scene where the the, the two couples are dancing, and the bikers kind of drive up on a hill and kind of look down at them, and everyone's like, uh oh, what are they up to? And the bikers are, let's let's get them, and then they spend four minutes like on their bikes just dun 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 and just yeah. driving. It's like what, you really took the long road <laughs> to, to get to them because it's like where 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 are you now in relation to? There's they were no just concept. Up on the hills, yeah, like, there's no concept where anything is in relation to every, anything else. It. And it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. And again, it's only about like 73, 74 minutes long, Oof. so it doesn't really uh, overstay its yeah, welcome. Yeah. Definitely one thing that's nice about these films uh, as a whole yeah. is a, almost none run above 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there's a lot of sweet spots, 75, 85 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how I uh, I've got one that's seven in one day. Minutes. <laughs> seven, exactly. seven in one day because yeah. of that length. <laughs> Not a good Never. idea, people, by the way. No, Don't it changes do your brain alchemy forever. Uh, that, one's, I didn't, that one didn't come up. I don't think I even saw that one. I mean, that's I don't know how you did it, but like, besides the ones I already knew the fun part this is something you should all do even if you don't get as into it as we did go to the Something Weird website yes. it is a great resource You, it's really hard to search because there's so much stuff I went by every subgenre and just yeah. kind of scrolled through what they had you read these really funny write-ups with pictures and your brain just kind of goes wow there's so many movies made Yes. You know, these are films that he largely found a giant vault of prints, and that's how he got into this business. So you're like, wow, there are a lot of movies that we might still might still be yet, like mm-hmm. The Astrologer was a couple years ago. Uh, these things might keep popping up. I hope so. Um, all right, well, my number four, I, want, I, know, I knew I had to get a sex movie on my list or a movie about sex. I don't, you know, the softcore stuff, I don't really watch much of that myself. Uh, just, I'm sure it would have been interesting 20 years ago to yeah. me, but for some, it's hard to sit down and just watch. I like narrative. But uh, this is an interesting one, and it turns out it had gotten picked up uh, recently by Arrow and kind of given the royal treatment, and that's Toys Are Not For Children. Ladies and gentlemen, we are about to show you scenes of an upcoming feature presentation. Its impact is so powerful and subject matter so different that we chose the unconventional way to make this presentation. Be prepared to handle shattering situations and learn what fear means to some. Why can't you be reasonable? Reason? How 
many times have I told you I can't even stand to look at your face? Mommy and Daddy don't like me. That's why I like toys. They make me happy. And Jamie met Charlie. Uh, who do I see about a job? You're hired. And they work together in a toy store. And then... With this ring, I thee wed. With this ring, I thee wed. They're no damn good. Take my word for it, Jamie. They'll hurt you. They'll hurt you. Oh, Charlie, I can't. Is that why you married me? Even in this age of permissiveness, toys are not for children will shock you. Make you wonder where good ends and bad begins. Oh, and yeah. um, this is Stanley H. Uh, Brasloff, 72. And what I would say is one movie that I talked about quite a bit last year, which was Good Luck, Miss Wyckoff, mm, that Vinegar Syndrome. Yeah. I think if you liked that, you might like that. That film's tough and bleak. This film has a lot of the same notes. This might be a little a little more fun um, and not quite as bleak, but definitely of a world. Yeah. Um, this one, so basically the opening is just pure gold. It's a, a girl in bed um, basically making it with her toy soldier doll, like a, a cuddly toy. She's you know, you know making it, probably masturbating, but you don't see it. It's not a graphic movie. It's not a graphic sex movie. And she just keeps saying, oh, daddy, yes, daddy, oh, daddy, right? And then her mom enters and catches her and yells at her, and you realize this is a girl who, when she was a little girl, her dad left the family, as far as she knows, you know, walked out on the mom. The mom's really overbearing and really, like, something. Thing. She's played by a uh, Fran Warren, who uh, what was she? She she recorded the song "A Sunday Kind of Love," oh, wow. and this is only her only acting appearance at this point. She plays this really bitchy mom who's like kind of crazy. Uh, and so she basically, you realize she has this weird kind of sexual prelection talking about her dad, but it's all like just based on these very innocent memories, mm-hmm. right? Um, so she gets a job in a toy store. She's got her room is she's like twenty or nineteen or whatever, and her room is just covered in toys. And the film's called "Toys Are Not for Children." She gets a job in a toy store, and she meets a really hunky guy looks like he's one of those actors who he pops in the screen I can't remember his name but he, he looks like someone you've seen in everything mm-hmm. and then you look him up and like there's nothing but you're like you're sure kind of like the greatest American hero that kind of a actor William Cat yeah that kind of like William Cat style and uh, anyway this guy's really into her and they fall in love they get married very quickly and then on their wedding night he's like alright let's have some action now and she's like eh, I don't want to do it and then basically you realize yes A she's a virgin and B she just has zero interest in sex at all and she won't do anything so of course he goes out to bars and gets what he can elsewhere but he's still very much in love with her and she's very traumatized she strikes up a good friendship with a prostitute just like you do uh, who happens to know her dad from a different life and um, so because of that she's enamored with this woman who has a pimp boyfriend who she thinks even though she's scared of sex with her husband it's a good idea to hang out with this pimp guy and of course he almost rapes her on the first meeting and then the woman like stands up for her and says you can't do that but then she shows up again and she has a couple drinks and makes it clear so eventually 
she gets her sexual world opened up by this pimp guy and she goes straight into prostitution without even blinking, even though she still hasn't slept with her husband. <laughs> poor, this poor gut bastard. Um, and it's, so it's kind of like this melodrama, it feels like a melod- almost a Cirque melodrama mixed with like an anti-drug film and a sex is dangerous thing, mm-hmm. but with these really like kind of crazy Freudian overtones. And she's really good in it. Uh, and so she, basically her husband still wants her back. There's all this stuff happening. Uh, it is a movie that... You can see where it's going to go. There's a moment, like halfway through, you go, I know, I 100% know where you're going to go with this, with all the daddy issues at stake. And I'm not even going to say it, but it does not matter if you know, because when you get there, you're like, oh, fuck, they went there. <laughs> like, it's one of those movies that, because it goes all the way yeah. with the concept, you're like, all right, I got to give you credit for being disturbing and crazy. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it's it's a pretty interesting, I mean... Let me put it this way. It's fucking crazy that Arrow put that out. Yes. It fits not with anything else they've put out. Like, it's so on its own. It's definitely something weird. Crazy movie. Because the original DVD, the the co-feature on the DVD Uh with it was The Toy Box. Uh Ron Garcia's Uh film, The Toy Box, which is basically about a couple going to this house that's ruled over by this strange, ancient, blind man who makes everyone have (laughs) weird sex. And it's just, like the trailer, you'll watch and go, that is so... So screwy, yeah, yeah, and and the film, but 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 then it's like the, the way the DVD is set up. You watch the toy box first, and you go, "Wow, that was nuts!" And then you yeah. put on toys enough for children. And ninety minutes later, I'm like, "I want to eat a bag of razors or something." Yeah, because it's, it's just like, oh, because it's not graphic, but it's very it's psychological, very, yeah. and it's very, you know, it's just all these like. Dep- that's why I say, "Good luck, my squire cough." Has a lot of those similarities, mm-hmm. like these desperately sad characters. Yeah. but it's actually pretty well made, and it's like it's, it's I would say a little bit of a level up in terms of filmmaking craft mm-hmm. and design than most of the films we'll talk about. Yeah. You know, but it's yeah. it's still you have to have that uh, yeah. weird gene to get into this one. Yeah, and I I I, I, I mentioned to you, Brian, that I, I would I would team that up with a film called Teenage Seductress, mm. which Vinegar Syndrome has put out, which is sort of along similar lines. I won't say any more. Yeah, okay. Oh. That, but it's kind of the same. And we're getting a lot of the companies. Agfa, obviously, a lot of these companies are taking over some of these titles. So, mm. which is is a good thing. I saw this one because I didn't order it in time. I did see it. It's on iTunes mm. in HD. So I bought it for a, a couple bucks, and I was like, okay, this yeah. is great that i can see it like this yeah i was gonna say my next four titles i believe i might have to double check this but i think they're all on blu-ray okay cool from one company or another yeah so it's kind of neat to have a lot of this in high def um i'm gonna go with one that is i'd say a bit more well known for my number four pick and that is the sadist from 1963 i am nicholas merweather executive producer of a new motion picture i dare you to see this equipment operated for 165 days, creating a new kind of realism, a suspense never equaled. This contains 70,000 feet of film, reduced to the most terrifying 90 minutes ever made. The Sadist is coming to this theater, to this screen. The Sadist. A human volcano of unpredictable terror, rejected by society twisted with mental anguish, tortured by complexes, man or monster, sane or insane, but driven to shock and kill. A page of life, strange and terrifying, unfolds on the screen with such startling realism. Come on, maybe the gun's empty. Come on, mister, I'm giving you a chance. Such powerful suspense, you will forget it is on film and see him cold, stark. (laughs) 
such a well-shot movie. Yeah. Yeah, of course, um, one of its claims to fame is that it is shot by Vilmos Zygmunt, an early effort from him. Not his first, I don't believe, but but definitely early. And it's it shows because it's... Uh, it's basically a real-time story that takes place mostly in a remote junkyard. It's black and white, and it is a spin on the Charles Starkweather character. In this case, the character of that type is played by Arch Hall Jr., yeah. who is known more really for you know, uh, his mystery science theater films that we've seen, like Ega, and I don't know if they did Wild Guitar. No, they no, didn't. no, they didn't. Yeah, they but didn't. so that's fun. Though. Yeah, he's an interesting cat. Like his dad was a movie producer. His dad produced this film, and his dad kind of got him into acting. And this is his best performance. Uh, I will say it still bothers me a little bit because he really goes for it, like big time. Yeah. Like it is almost the definition of an over-the-top performance, but it is nonetheless effective because basically what you have is three school teachers, their car breaks down, they pull into this junkyard hoping they can get the part they need. The junkyard is deserted, and then they come to slowly realize that the Starkweather character, um, I forget his name in the movie right now, but um, he and his girlfriend have killed the guy who runs the place, and they are just kind of hanging out there, and then they sort of take them hostage. And a lot of what makes the movie effective is that uh, it's shot in such a way that sometimes we're like right in the POV of him with the gun sticking in one side of the frame and the characters in the other. And obviously it's shot outside with lots of light so you can get a whole great depth of field in this junkyard, and it looks really good. Um, But yeah, it's creepy to watch just as he sort of menaces these... uh, three teachers who were just trying to go to a Dodger game. Yeah. And um, and the fra- you're right, it's the framing. It's not really, when we say cinematography, we're often thinking of lighting. And this one, it's really where he puts the frame yeah. up, characters mm-hmm. on edges of frame. Mm-hmm. It's, it's you, you remember it, which you, even if you didn't see that he had shot it, it's one of those films you, after it ends, you're like, oh, that was shot really well. And you're surprised by how it looks. Yeah. And the, the DVD, I, or sorry, the Blu-ray that I watched is a Code Red Blu-ray. It's got a commentary from Vilmos. Um, which oh, is wow. interesting. Yeah, it's pretty cool to hear his thoughts on it. Um, also, Joe Dante is a big fan of this movie. It's yeah. supposedly one of his favorite films. And What's it, its other title? Do you remember? It had a different oh, title that's shit. something more really generic. I love the Sadist is the yeah. better title. I just remember from years ago. It's, it's fine. Yeah, I'll have to look it up because yeah. I know that there is definitely yeah, another one. Um, but they have a nice little four-minute interview with Joe, which oh, I can cool. drop a clip of yeah. in here, uh, just talking about what he likes about the movie. And it's directed by and written by James T. Landis, who did a lot of pictures for a company called uh, Fairway International, and actually not very many other pictures other than those. Uh, and and th- th- they're all varying degrees of not so good, but this one is just one of those cases where everything gels, everything comes together. It's in its own way, it's a perfect little gem. Um, it stars uh, Arch Hall Jr., who was the son of Arch Hall Sr. Uh, and uh, Arch Hall Sr. had a company called Fairway International, which uh, he ran, uh, sometimes using the name Mer- Nicholas Merriweather when he would like direct something, didn't want to put his name on. Uh, and he was convinced that his son was going to be a movie star, and so he would put him in uh, these various pictures, starting when he was quite young, in, in, in pictures like The Choppers and Ega. You know, you can start to see the kid grow up. By the time they got to the sadist, he was a pretty hunky uh, kid and um, gives a performance that is fairly unique in the annals of cinema in that it is incredibly over the top. Uh, Sometimes he seems like a demented baby. Um, this crazed uh, teenage thrill killer who was holding uh, some teachers hostage in the junkyard. Um, 
It's uh, so there's there are elements of sort of a, a, a crazed Dwight Fry in some of his performance, um, but it is it and it is sometimes ludicrous. But it is nothing other than riveting throughout the entire movie. He is one of the great movie villains. But let let that be the thing that guides you to this one. Joe yeah. Dante is a huge fan. I, I think it's on. in the Danny Perry cult book. Um Guide for the Film Fanatic, I believe. It might, yeah, I think it might be think in Guide. It's, yeah. it's it's probably in cult movie stars. I feel yeah. like Archal Jr. might be in cult That's movie true. stars. I, I, c- I could be wrong that, about yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but it's a really intriguing and downbeat uh, movie. And it's funny because I went down kind of a rabbit hole with Charles Starkweather. Obviously, Star- the Starkweather story is the basis for Badlands. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's sort of the basis for Natural Born Killers. There was a movie called Starkweather that was made somewhat recently. Uh, California it seems to have some sort of influence of Kill Starkweather. Kill kind of stories. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I actually looked up pictures of the real Charles Starkweather, mm. and there's one in particular where he's got his hair slicked back, it's blonde, he's got a cigarette hanging out of his mm. mouth, and I put it up against a picture of Archal Jr., and I was like, ooh, mm. that's kind of creepy. He's he's actually not that far off in terms not of- Not as hot as Martin Sheen. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> Step not. down for Martin. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's actually a really good movie. Any yeah, way you yeah. cut it, it's an interesting movie. Yeah, and, and just the fact that it unfolds in real time, and I think it was made in two weeks for like mm. 33 grand mm. purportedly- um, it's pretty impressive overall, yeah. you know, yeah. and it's, and it is weird and Archal Jr. is a weird presence, but it plays like a le- competent thriller, you yeah. know, it's, it's, it's a, got a sense of dread mm-hmm. that I have to say is pretty great. And it also has one of my favorite opening bits of text on screen where it says on a hot August day, several years ago, three school teachers set off to see a baseball game at Dodger stadium. They never made it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That's a must chainsaw massacre. Yeah. yeah, very much. That's cool. Yeah. So that's the sadist. All right, Dan, what do you got? Oh well, this one, this one, I chose a double feature. Okay, we're slightly breaking the rules, but it was an actual double feature when it came out in the theaters, and I think they're very. Um, if you watch them together, and you can, if they're not. I, I, I've been watching them together many times. Um, the, you, you can see sort of similarities in the way they're made, um, and that is there are two films by a gentleman named Leonard Kurtman, and it's Carnival of Blood and Curse of the Headless Horseman. And Carnival of Blood, you might know best uh, because it's um, Burt Young's, one of Burt Young's first movies. It, he doesn't use that name, I forget. He's like John Harris or something. <laughs> and he plays a guy with strange facial lesions called Gimpy, who helps this other guy run a, um, like a dart. throwing. It's set at Coney Island. And the, one of the main spots it's set at is like, um, uh, you know, throw the dart and pop the balloon mm-hmm. kind of thing and win like a strange looking bear. And... Uh, the the premise you have with Carnival of Blood is it's set at a carnival and it's kind of um, I think it may have said this on the back of the something weird uh, in the description it's kind of like a rinse and repeat kind of thing actually back when I was in college I wrote a paper on Carnival of Blood Headless Eyes and Scream Bloody Murder and I remember mentioning it that the thing about Carnival Blood is it's basically it does the same thing like three times it introduces a couple of people they kind of argue or don't quite get along at the carnival and then the woman gets killed and then interspersed with that are, are other things like a main couple who are falling in love and argue uh, Mr. Gimpy and the bald guy who runs the um, no offense Brian uh, <laughs> the, um, uh, who runs the um, who runs the, uh, the 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 um, the, the um, dart balloon what, what is it called it's, it's that game it, I that game a dart, dart balloon game yeah I'd, it's funny I've never thought about what it's called I think it's just a dart throw or dart, something dart throw yeah. something like that what do you say try your luck Break a balloon, win a baboon, right over here. They didn't know that in that wild, frenzied ride, they'd pass from the living. This picture begins where Hitchcock stopped and climaxes in nerve-shattering terror. I had to kill him. 
Carnival of Blood, a colorful merry-go-round of death. And and a lot of it is um, maybe all of it is like improv, yeah. and so it's like the the opening scenes with like a couple arguing. It's just like they are like it starts off with them arguing, and then you see the opening credits, and they're arguing in the middle of the night, like well not in the middle of the night, but like seven or eight at night. And then it cuts to our main couple who are in love, and they're like sitting on a stoop in the middle of the day. Then it cuts back to that couple, and they're still arguing, and it's nighttime. And you're like, does that what were they were they arguing for 24 hours straight? <laughs> Have they not left? What's going There's on? There's a lot of shrill voices in yes. these that you're not used to seeing in a Hollywood film because yes. things are modulated. Well, and also they don't think about it. They're just right. like, oh, I need to cast, I need to ADR that, Who's or I need willing? to get somebody else. Yeah. But they're just like, no, fuck it. That's what the but, actor sounds like. And oh, I'm sorry. Oh, well, there's a in that one. I, there's a moment where somebody screams, a woman screams i can't remember which which scene and it reminded me of the of the girl who screams and blow out when oh, when oh, really? and has the, the- ter- <laughs> <laughs> and so this one's doing it naturally and that made me instantly think i was like oh my god i wonder if de palma saw this movie Possibly. and was like if you have a terrible scream you have to dub it because it really was that same scream <laughs> it, it, that's hilarious it, it's 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 uh, i think it was very um, much based sometimes on on H.G. Lewis stuff because there are mm. a couple of big gory scenes with heads getting cut off and then like a guy throws up and there's this wonderful <laughs> woman who I adore. Uh, the actress's name is Gloria Spivak mm. and she plays like, I forget her character's name, it's like Obnoxious Blonde or something like that <laughs> and she just wanders around yelling at people and demanding more food and <laughs> and then she ends up like getting, getting like hit in the face with a brick and she has her eyes pulled out and her tongue ripped out and it's hilariously good time. And it's, it's all... It's like it's, it's all mixed with scenes where they go to this strange fortune teller and it's the exact same scene like three times yeah. in the movie. Tell us the fortune. Okay, here you go. Ooh, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. Wait a minute. Go home. No, we're not. Go home. Go. And the same thing happens and, and then they die soon yeah. afterwards. And it's... It's a super fun film. Um, I actually saw it, well, not the, for the first time, for probably like the 12th time, on my 40th birthday. Oh, cool. I was in Austin, Texas, visiting Agfa, Bleeding Skull Joe, and my wife was with me, and Joe does the Terror Tuesday there. Yeah. And they said, don't, and they said, let's go to Terror Tuesday. Don't look at the marquee. Don't look at the marquee. Okay, now look at it. It was Terror Tuesday, Carnival of Blood. Oh, cool. I was like, are you kidding me? And yeah. I got to see Carnival of Blood on the big screen because the, um, the, the, on, on the DVD, it's 133, but this was proper like 185 and it's great because there's a you see a lot of boom mic in the the something weird (laughs) version but uh, you don't see as much boom mic on the big screen version but you do see and I love this moment and unfortunately because it's the Elmo draft house you're not allowed to make a sound Mm. so I couldn't when I when I was going to (gasps) go Joe instantly was like don't say anything and so I couldn't but there was a moment in there where I think it's the second sort of cycle there is like a drunk Navy guy and a prostitute this sounds like a joke yeah. this sounds, this is, there was a drunk Navy guy and a prostitute. it sounds like the, the movie The Redeemer oh, yeah. you guys yeah, see yeah, that with, with a, where the um, tell one of your funny jokes yeah, okay yeah. there were these two whores and you don't hear the rest of the joke you just hear that and think that's gotta be hilarious but uh, so, so you see um, the, the cameras in the um, in the booth looking out at the Navy guy and, and as they're throwing the darts and if you look over on the far left of the screen, there are several like chairs set up, and there is like Gloria Spivak and one of the other actors, and they're just watching the scene being filmed and smiling. <laughs> and you can only see it on the widescreen oh, version; it's not wow. on the. And it was just, like, and at that moment, I was like, "Joe, look!" I was like, "Don't say anything." <laughs> 
And I was like, oh, well, so these people would never think of their films being restored or seen yes. years later. These are not movies that were meant yeah. for no. posterity at the time. You know? yeah, and and Curse of the Horseman probably even less so. The, this is the one the I the, the film I compare Curse of the Headless Horseman to is Howling New Moon Rising. If you guys have seen that, no, one. Is that's that the, the one made by Clive Turner, set in Barstow at Pioneer so Town. It's like recent at ninety four. Ninety four. Okay. Um, it's basically it's a love letter to this um, a place called like it's like. Pappy and Harriet's Pioneer Palace or something like that. <laughs> it's basically a country music biker bar kind of thing and it forgets to be a howling film for long stretches of time <laughs> except at the point where he tries to take four, five, and six and make them into one That's mythology. Right. Yeah, yeah. And Curse of the Headless Horseman is sort of like this. It's As far as I can tell, it's the producer who also wrote it had all these friends who he thought was really cool and you could tell they're friends because almost none of them... like. The characters' names are their names, <laughs> but the main characters, who are actual proper actors, they have actual like character names. And it's basically these hippies go to this like old western, like up in a mountain somewhere in L.A. or somewhere like that thing, and they just hang out and they goof around and they put on little skits. And Ultraviolet from Andy Warhol's Factory shows up for like five huh. minutes, and then eventually a plot begins to happen. <laughs> Not much of a plot, yeah. and it involves a headless horseman. And another bloody chiller. A quiet town, nestled in the California foothills. A timeless place where past and present merge. of the headless horse. Violence rages as an age-old curse comes to life, leaving death in its trail. Terror and a new excitement explodes on the screen. Of the Headless Horseman, coming to this theater soon. Rated PG. But it is great because when you compare the two, you can see it's it's all um, all the improv sort of it, and the, and the fact that like Carnival of Blood actually will have something happen every once in a while. Whereas <laughs> Curse of the Headless Horseman, not much happens, and if you can get in the groove. It's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> and it's only about 81 minutes, but but there's some, there's something about and it's sort of like the great thing too is it's almost like you know like the, like David Lean, you know you have Lawrence of Arabia yeah. in the desert and you have Dr. Zhivago in, in the in the in the snow. Yeah. This is you know, Coney Island there by the water and then this other one Curse of the Horseman they're in the desert and it's sort of like it's like the films of Lean. I don't know if there's a third one that's like Ryan's daughter. Uh, that's a pretty straight line, I think. Yes, yeah. So, so she won in Ireland. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. I, I know he did. He did Death by Invitation, which something oh, yeah, weird yeah, put yeah. out. But I, I don't think that's set no, in no, Ireland, no. unfortunately. <laughs> but, the, but though, that's that. To me, that's a great double feature. If you if you can get into the groove of the films. I really enjoy them. And and they don't move fast, but they move faster than the other films that I've chosen. <laughs> so And some of them would play so well with audiences. Yes. And like Yeah, that's definitely something yeah. key with these is it's like maybe you watch them with a group of people. Mm-hmm. Watching by yourself is 
I don't know. It's maybe not the best way. Ultimately. Yeah, I tried to pick some of the ones that are were fine just by myself, but there are some that I watched that didn't make my yeah. list, including Carnal Blood, which I f- found to be a bit of a chore watching it at home. But I was like, it's same with the Herschel Gordon Lewis films. I feel like they are so much more fun when you're around other people. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. and see, seeing it on the big screen, and it was great too because after after seeing it on the big screen, there were some people who came by and were like, "Wow, that was great," uh, and then there were other people who came by who you could tell had sort of never seen anything like that, and they were like. I don't know about that one. Maybe, maybe don't show something like that again. I don't know. And, oh, and the last thing about Curse of the Headless Horseman is randomly in the middle of it, they cover, because uh, every once in a while, like random voices will break into song. <laughs> and they do, uh, and they break into a You Ain't Going Nowhere, a Bob Dylan song huh. at one point in it. And I was, just, and it's it's over the scene where like kind of a guy kind of assaults a lady, sort of. And it's kind of played like it's a joke, but Ooh. it's this Bob there. It's these all these ladies are singing this. You ain't going nowhere, and you're sitting like going watching. What what is happening oh, on the screen here? Medicine. It's Yikes. it's a little it's a little weird. Yeah, it's it's um. Yeah, so that's number three. All right. <laughs> it sounds like it really earned that spot. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, uh, the one thing we haven't really mentioned is the other cool thing about these movies is that you get regional filmmaking. So saying that, uh, like we've talked about the Nightmare Project or American Project, American Nightmare Project? No, American, well, Horror Nightmare, Project. American, yeah, right. So there's, uh, horror, I'm thinking yes. of Stephen Thrower's book yeah, as well. Yeah. Uh, but there, you know, that charted horror films made from different regions of America. But it is something really important when you think about it because most of the films we see are, they might be set in different parts of America, but they're all being made in Hollywood in some way, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, sometimes I just love it when I get to see one. Often they're from Florida. This one's North Carolina. This might be my pick of, like, this isn't the best movie. I've got two movies ahead of this that are definitely better movies. But of my picks that I had never heard of this movie, this is my the one I most want to see with the crowd, and that is The Night of the Cat. And this is directed by a guy, Jim Sink, made one film. This mm-hmm. is a soul credit. It's 1973. It's regional North Carolina and oh my god, the acting is regional North Carolina. No one is a professional actor in this film, I'm going to guess, but what I like about this, if you know me, I love a good crime revenge film. Mm-hmm. And so basically this opens with actually a really good opening scene. It's just a woman running down a, a highway as a car's chasing her and she's trying to get safety and it nails her and kills her and then the cops can't do much about it and her sister comes to town and just her sister's this, you know, a blonde girl kind of trying to figure out what happened no one seems to want to help her well you know she kind of got tied in there's basically this crime syndicate which are a bunch yes. of guys who really don't look like yes. mafia in any way they just look like a bunch of random uh, business guys from North Carolina uh, what they do is they take the girls to a place get them hooked on uh, junk and then get them into prostitution, and that's how they kind of hook them. So they've got this, like, holding facility. It's almost like a mind-washing uh, facility. Beth, did uh, Janet ever mention a clinic or a hospital to you? No, I don't think she ever did, Tom. Why? Does that have anything to do with her death? Well, yes, Beth. I, I think it does. You see, one of the ways that Pender gets these girls he has into prostitution is by taking young girls, by force if necessary, to this uh, hospital or clinic that they have. And once they have the girls under lock and key, they, they start them on drugs. It isn't long, maybe only a week or two, before they're hopelessly addicted. Pender supplies them with the drugs that they must have. But in order to pay for them, they have to do exactly as they're told. So they have no choice but to... Uh, become prostitutes. Was Janet one of these girls? I wish that wasn't the case. But yes, Beth, I'm afraid it is. 
She was trapped, like a hundred others. She had no choice. Um, anyway, so th- th- this girl is trying to figure out like uh, what she can do about it. She teams up with this other guy, and there is. I mean, we have all seen some montage sequences for training montages. Holy fucking shit there is a sequence that's about 35 seconds long it is her taking like five karate kicks just totally ineptly and the guy printing because he's a journalist printing papers that are going by like a 1920s uh print thing uh and talking you don't have any music so there's not even music to this training montage she does a few karate (laughs) kicks and then you see her do a ballet class and then she returns with a black wig you literally will forget it's the same actor, like everyone else doesn't recognize her, and she is now a fucking kung fu expert, <laughs> and she is kill. And yet, when you watch these action sequences, they Maybe are so questionable. Yeah. Uh, but there's something about the film that the movie it reminds me most of. Strangely, is they call her One Eye, but without mm. any of that grit, any of the rape. Also, that has some really great, gross kind of rapey sex mm. stuff in that because because it's quite a realist. Film yeah. obviously, Kill Bill has a little bit of a touch of that too, with from uh, coming from that color one eye. But this one, it's like that same kind of story, but without any of that grit. And yet, you're getting this. It's ultra charming in terms of these kind of characters from North Carolina. But there's, a, there's a they they miss the best setup I've ever seen in a movie that isn't paid off. Is it's called The Night of the Cat. Now, by the end of it, it's clear that she's the cat. She's the avenging cat. That's not interesting. The main gangster, right, who's been trapping all these women, he has a paralytic fear of cats and they say oh yeah one guy says early in the film like oh yeah even if he just sees one he'll freak out and they're like really and there's a scene where all the gangsters sitting around a pool and he sees a little kid and walk by and he like freezes and they go somebody get somebody and they get a guy who basically looks like king kong bundy from wrestling i I thought it was i had to google it (laughs) because he looks exactly like him with hair so the biggest guy you've ever seen walking towards a kitten like a 400 pound man and he picks up the kitten unfortunately the kitten doesn't fare well I, i i hope that it wasn't real uh, I couldn't tell while I was watching it. And then you're like, oh my God, you've just built up the greatest fear for this character. So my brain is already going Night of a Thousand Cats. I think this yes. movie's going to end with all her doing something with cats. It never comes up again. Oh. And I'm watching this movie going, sweet Jesus, how did you guys <laughs> miss this one? It is such a good setup. It really is crazy. But um, but she you know, she basically infiltrates the place and uh, there's a very slow undressing scene where they've got her racked up. It's not, it's not that gross. Like luckily it's one of those movies that doesn't go too far in some of that stuff. Uh, but it becomes a revenge film and there are some pretty amazing scenes including that man I was just talking about who's 400 pounds falling down a giant set of stairs after she karate kicks and it you have to re- I remember that if I, you don't rewind it four times you aren't human because it's like you're watching this just yes. giant guy and he clearly just did it and I have no idea if he's a stuntman but you're watching this movie and go oh my god what is this movie but if it was made anywhere else it wouldn't work but here you're like ah, there's something about this movie that I'm enjoying and I like that it's a revenge film and it's really simple uh, you know and, and she gets to kick some butt but her the kung fu action scenes are almost embarrassingly flat. Uh, but this is one that uh, I, I highly recommend. I just love that somebody made one movie in their life, and this is it. Night of the Cat. You can't find anything on this movie. I think the most I found was uh, Joe Zimba writing about it for uh, yes. your site, or Bleeding Skull, the online site, and whatever was on the Something Weird site. And besides that, I couldn't find anything, really, which is just crazy. Uh, but also, it's, uh, it's 75 minutes, and it cost 100 grand. So there you go, man. You can you know you can knock this shit out, and it's like you get a North Carolina revenge film. Who doesn't yeah. want that? Nice. 
Wow. But Definitely. man, if it had that ending with cats, oh. it would have been an all-timer. I'll remake. Tell you right now. Exactly. Remake. Yeah. Hollywood. Hello. Night of the Cat. Paging wow. Hollywood. Um, that sounds wonderful. Um, <laughs> all right. I'm going to go into one of my director discoveries now. Um, this is a guy, again, people know. This is Andy Milligan, um, who is a big part of the uh, Something Weird catalog. They've got a lot of his stuff. Um, he definitely is a guy who might be more well-known for his horror films, which, to my understanding, are the thing he was least passionate about making. Uh, I'm going to talk about one that uh, Vinegar Syndrome finally put out, and it's called Flesh Pot on 42nd Street from oh, yeah. 1973. Hi. Hi. My name's Dusty. What's yours? Bob. You lost or something? No, why? What are you doing in a place like this? I could ask you the same thing. I asked you first. Well, I needed a drink, so I came to the first place I could find. You live around here? No, Staten Island. Staten Island? That's not even in New York State. Have you ever been to Staten Island? Yeah, a couple times. I took the ferry over and got one look and came right back. Hmm. Well, you didn't give it half a chance. You should really see it sometime. Is that an invitation? If you want it to be. Okay. Let's go. Sure, why not? Did you see that? She didn't even talk to him for more than two minutes and they're off. Dusty knows how to operate. She acts like she's on a roller skate. She's got class, real class. Something the two of you will never know anything why about. You? Why don't you try <laughs> And I'd heard about this one. Um, definitely some people had written about it on Rupert Popkin Speaks as Discoveries. I know it screened before it got whatever restoration um, they did with Vinegar Syndrome. And the Blu-ray looks great, by the way. And it has a really nice commentary with Sam Deegan, Heather Drain, and Kat Ellinger. Mm. And I like that a lot. Those are all great folks, great ladies. Um, but yeah, so this one I'd just heard about for years. And I'd been putting off watching it because I'm not a big sex movie guy and I think I just had a certain idea of what I thought this would be I thought it would be um, kind of an abusive sexual kind of thing and I wasn't into it from that point of view but what I watched and what I think I want to classify it as is if Andy Milligan made his own version of Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of what this movie is. And that this is obviously a movie that predates Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, I think, or they're right around the same time. But um, it follows this um, prostitute named Dusty. She's living basically on 42nd Street. And she is... It's sort of like... You, you sort of follow her through a few different relationships. Again, like Alice doesn't live here anymore. Um, she starts in the beginning with a guy who I think might be a bartender. I can't remember what his job is, but basically he comes home, she's sitting in the chair, and he's like, more or less like, we need to renegotiate our agreement, which is like, I, apparently she's living in the house, and they have sex, and she understood that to sort of be the arrangement, and he's like, I need a little more return. Can you clean up the house, the, the <laughs> apartment? And She's kind of getting upset with him, and then she agrees to clean up, and then the minute he he leaves, she bails. And so then she's kind of homeless, uh, but she runs into a um, a woman, um, sorry, a man who dresses as a woman, friend of hers, who's really good. The character's name, I believe, is Cherry. Yeah. Um, and he is 
really great. Like one of the funniest, most interesting characters in the movie. It's somebody, they're all hustlers in a way. And so you're getting this really interesting look at these hustlers and how they make their living. She sort of hooks up with him and they decide, you know, she can go live with him for a little while. Uh, but, you know, she ends up meeting a, another guy who is maybe the nicest guy she's ever met. And you kind of want to see where that goes. He lives out in Staten Island. It's a whole different thing. It's removed completely from 42nd Street. Um, so it's it's very much a... I don't is know. Is it like the Paul Morrissey films or something? Has it got that I, kind of aesthetic? Or? I mean, a little bit, but uh. like I said, it's it's maybe more like early Scorsese. Like, mm. like, like who's that knocking? Yeah. But, you know, a slightly more amateurish acting. But it's still got some dialogue in it that I think is... Credible. It's believable coming from these characters. It's clear that Andy knew these people. Like these yeah. are characters he could relate to, and so it has a certain realism about it that I really responded to. And I really like Dusty as a character. You root for her, but you know, there's a certain fatalism to the lifestyle that you're like, oh, I don't know. I, I wonder if this is going to turn out okay. And I won't go where it goes, but um, but yeah, it does have her dealing with. Uh, a couple Johns and you kind of see how she interacts with them. There's like one very interesting conversation she has with a guy about marriage, which I think is intriguing. Her position on marriage is interesting. You're married, huh? Yeah. She go for this scene? <laughs> no. I'm looking if I get a piece of ass from her. How long you been married? Three years. Why? Just wondering. What religion is she? Irish Catholic. Figures. What do you mean by that? Well, I haven't met a person that was Irish Catholic yet that wasn't fucked up. Well, that's a rather broad statement. Well, look at you. Well, look at what? Well, you like sex in a sort of mixed-up way. That's how you get your kicks. Does she like it that way? No, of course not. Doesn't she give you anything? Yeah, once in a while. No. I don't understand you American men. You all let your wives run all over you, and then you complain that it's her fault because she isn't interested in sex. When you want it, you've got a trainer in the habit of giving, because it's very easy for a woman to go through life saying no all the time when half the time she means yes. You guys have got to stick up for your rights more often. Oh, it's stupid even to talk about it. It won't do any good. But yeah, overall, it was just a very gritty, interesting film that I think is kind of a gem. It's it, it, they, they have inserted some hardcore sex scenes into the film, and they aren't totally out of place, uh, but the rest of the movie doesn't feel like a, a sex movie in that mm. way. I mean, it, it it's all circling around sex. She's a hustler, so it's kind of like the underlining you know thing in the film, but it was just a lot more... Um, I don't know, moving than I thought it would be, you know, in that way. And a character that I, I cared for a lot more. And ultimately, a lot of characters that I was just like, oh, I feel for these people. I can see how the desperation of just trying to make it, just trying to get by, has infected everybody. And they're just doing what they can, you know. Um, but so, yeah, it's a really solid film. And I was I was very impressed. I want to watch some more of his horror films. But like I said, I've heard they are um, a little tougher, you know, in terms of uh, you're you're a fan of his, Dan? I, I am. I am. Yeah. Uh, I and I had I thought I had seen Fleshpot on Forty Second Street, and 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 I, and I really enjoyed it when, when I watch it. It's sort of like it. It. I was I was trying to think of the way to describe so because it, it it starts off yeah it it is like a sex film, but then it sort of outgrows that or something. Yeah. I don't know if that's quite quite the right Kinda, term. Yeah. But it's like by the time you get to the end, it's like hey, this is kind of sweet, sort of. Mm -hmm. And you don't expect to say that from the man like who made The Rats Are Coming, The Werewolves Are Here, or Torture Surgical. Dungeon. Yeah, yeah. Was um, this early before he made those others or towards the end? Uh, 
in the vicinity of okay. those. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I think the horror films are sort of interspersed, it's but um, he also has a really great short film called Vapors, Vapors sure, which yeah. um, I almost picked in this slot. Vinegar Syndrome put that up, but I don't know if Vapors is officially... Oh, no, it is of something weird. I can't remember. There's a couple of Andy Milligans mm. that aren't mm-hmm. that Vinegar, Vinegar Syndrome has put out, but Seeds and Vapors is a Blu-ray that I would also recommend mm. of his stuff. They're not sex films. They're other than that. When, when I'm in the mood... I mean, they are sex films. I'm sorry. They're not horror films. When I'm in the mood for Andy Milligan, there's... There's literally nothing else you can watch. So, so if, if you're like, I need, I need to spend 90 minutes with Andy, you, you do that. It doesn't happen often, but but when it does, it's like it's it's like say like the rats are coming, the werewolves are here. Nothing really happens throughout that film, but for some reason, I I really quite enjoy it. And when it gets to where it's going, I'm I don't know if satisfied is the right word, but it's sort of like. Well, well done. Any blood is actually probably going to start with because that's only about an hour long. Well, and the rats are coming. Werewolves are here is on the cover of the Psychotronic Encyclopedia of Film, and yeah. that's the big thing for me. When I was like, yeah. "What is that rat movie mm-hmm. on the cover of this?" And I was like, oh, "I still haven't watched it. Yeah. I got to watch it still." But T- Torture Dungeon is also excellent. Carnage is really dumb, but but fun. Um, yeah, Surgical is is something. Did he do gasoline ones? <laughs> The gas. Yeah, oh, yes, yes, he did. I think yes. that's something yeah. weird. That's right? the yeah. name of his, um, yeah, yeah. Biography, his bio, or, yeah. yeah, which yeah. is a great book, by the way, a really yeah. good book. Yeah, um, definitely check that out. Yeah, the the, and then he remade that as Legacy of Blood yeah. in the late 70s. But if I remember correctly, without much blood or violence, as opposed <laughs> to Gas Wounds, which is a little weird. Yeah, it's but, definitely a guy who is very much doing his own thing, yeah. but he does have a certain sensibility and a certain craftsmanship as a filmmaker. It's not mm-hmm. polished, mm-hmm. it's very raw. Yeah. It's like. You can see why John Waters would be a fan of his. Yes. It's like got a certain, you know, less funny uh, John Waters vibe, if you will. I mean, that's and 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 sort of like the um, the way like in Flesh Pot of Forty Second Streets, where he shoots some of the scenes with the people out on the street, it has a very sort of um, uh, not quite cinema verite, but yeah. sort of a raw feeling to it. Absolutely, he 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 kind of that's the way a lot of his horror films are shot. So it ends up feeling a little weird when you see people in like like 19th century period <laughs> dress with very yeah. affected English accents and the camera's like a little bit very off modern, and a little yeah. bit, yeah, a little bit. It's, it's you know, it's like when Woody Allen did it, like Husbands and Wives. Yeah. And that was fine there. But then when he did in Manhattan Murder Mystery, you were like, no, what are you going to need to do that here? Yeah. You yeah. can calm it down. Yeah. Well, and so, it's so, obviously you know. him probably operating camera on his movies and everything. Yeah, yeah. You know? I'm like doing everything yeah. literally. Produced, yeah, written, so directed, like, the whole um, bit, you know, yeah. very much an auteur in that Just yeah, cool. just stand there and please, just you're in. <laughs> just, just, you're good. Yeah, but he is. I, I was intrigued, and I definitely want to dig into more of the horror films, even knowing they won't probably be as good as this. This is probably one of his masterpieces, but um, definitely a really interesting em- yeah. entry point. I think Fleshpot on Forty Second Street. What do you got next, sir? All right, uh, we are going to go with one of my all-time favorite filmmakers, the great. The the mighty the powerful Doris Wishman. Yeah, I'm so glad a Wishman movie made it on the list. So thank you. Yeah, yeah it she's should. She's one voice. of the core yeah. directors of something weird. And and uh, so I chose. Um, I would have if 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 it was something weird. I would have chosen Night to Dismember, but yeah. they never they, they never did that. Um, uh, but I chose Double Agent seventy three. I, I think I think some people prefer Deadly Weapons because it has Harry Reams and she kills with her boobs. Yeah. Um, I think Double Agent seventy three wins because it shows the absolute crazy wonderfulness of what Doris did. Hello. How are you, Jane? Just fine. Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear it. Or I was until this call came. I hate to interrupt your vacation, but I want you to take the next plane to New York. But, Bill, I just got here. I'm sorry, 
Jane. I know that, but it can't be helped. This is the first vacation I have. I'll expect you this evening. Arrangements have been made to implant an XL-17 camera in you. A slight pressure will trigger the camera and give us what we need. What time is it, do you know? Don't trust anyone. Topless agents are everywhere. Double Agent 73 is like a James Bond movie made basically in Doris's suburban house, <laughs> pretending to be like 20 different locations. And she, there are car chases. There are, you know, well, there's lots of nudity. There's lots of scenes of her getting in fights with guys and stuff. There's all sorts of shootouts and all kinds of crazy stuff. But it's all like, it's Doris. So it all has this this beautiful, I don't even know how to describe her, yeah. her filmmaking. It just, you know, you, you get, you know, like the, the car chases where it, it's funny when I when I was in high school I used to and in college I sh- used to shoot a lot of short videos and films and one of the things the toughest to do was to do car chases because you would do stuff like like I, I had a scene where it's like a car was supposed to chase me down the street and we did a take and it was rather harrowing and it was perfect except for the fact that the brake lights kept going on in the car as it was going on the street I was like no you can't hit the brake lights well I would have hit you okay we got to rethink this so so just the fact that she would try to do and I think there are like two car chases in here there's a scene where a guy is getting chased by a car and there's a scene where, where I forgot to mention the star Chesty Morgan did I, <laughs> did I? yeah Ch- Chesty was a stripper uh, she has very large boobs yeah. and they're the sort of boobs where um, I was watching with my wife yesterday and she loves it she loves it she's like wow those are large boobs and she's thinking, <laughs> I, I just, she's thinking I'm just my back would be killing me I, yeah. I couldn't do that but the, the, the premise is Chesty is is um, I forget her character's name, but she's Double Agent Seventy Three, and they uh, they have to find some sort of spy, some someone named Toppler or something like that. It doesn't make sense. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. What they do is they put a camera in her left breast. <laughs> And so when she lifts up her boob, a f- little flash goes off, and you hear like the camera noise. And so she takes pictures of people after she kills them. She takes pictures of random, um, uh, you know, like uh, uh, files and things like that. And it never fails to be. And Doris must have known this. There's no way she could have not. It never fails to be hilariously funny watching just like um, like Chesty like pull pull a file out of a drawer, set it down, take off her enormous shirt, and. Lift up her boob, <laughs> and it never fails to be hilarious. And mix that with the fact that they like it has a self destruct mechanism in it, so she only has like a week to take care of everything, or else her boob will explode. Oh, no, it's fantastic. And there are all these spies, and it's crazy. And if you can imagine any other Doris film you've seen, say like a Bad Girls Go to Hell, that one always made my mind. What, yeah. Um, one of her um, uh, nudist colony films, mm-hmm. things like Nude on the Moon. But imagine that as a secret agent film with the woman with the largest boobs you've ever seen. And they're constantly putting her in these outfits where it's like, did they dress her in a circus tent? What is that? <laughs> these these fashions they put her in are just hilarious. And it's just, it's, it's, it's a, and, and the other thing about Doris I realized is that I was watching. There's a scene where she goes to talk to her boss, and so and the camera starts off with like you know they're in Doris's living room. If you've seen enough Doris films, you're like, oh, I recognize that. <laughs> like like the, the 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 in Night Night to Dismember the 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 bedroom that the lead character played by porn star Samantha Fox uh, s- sleeps in. There's like a little 
uh, Mona Lisa print on the wall, this scene, you're like, oh, there's that Mona Lisa print. I recognize that. <laughs> but uh, so, so Jesse's talking to her boss. You know, like if this were uh, Ted V. Michaels, if this were Al Adamson, if this were H.G. Lewis, the whole scene would be Barry Mahon. The whole scene would be the camera just sitting there. She's on one side, he's on the other. Might be a close-up, but it would just be one long take. But when Doris does it, it's like it's on them. Then all of a sudden there's a close-up of him, a close-up of her, over-the-shoulder shot, over-the-shoulder <laughs> shot, close-up of her hands, close-up of the feet, close-up of her And you're like, for, for being someone who's working like in the same, maybe even lower budget bracket, Doris has the craziest like mise-en-scene ever yeah. in That's her film. That's a lot film. of setups. She, yeah. she, she's constantly, it's constantly cutting into, which is why I think her films are generally more fun to watch yeah. than a lot of those other guys, because you never know where it's going to jump to next. And I always applaud her for just like, because you could have done a Barry Mahon thing and just set the camera on the edge of the set and just have people act for five minutes and that's the scene. But she always gets in there and it's crazy. Well, she's obviously thinking about the audience. You know? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and so so Double Agent 73 is one I rec- recommend highly. And and don't worry when you, th- there, there are a lot of Chesty Azard Top off a lot, but it's not. It's not sexy. She. It's business. <laughs> taking pictures. It's taking pictures. And if you get into wanting to see more with these people at the incredibly strange film show, oh, yeah. uh, with Jonathan Ross, uh, mm-hmm. there did yes. some DVDs back in the day. They were some, some of my entry point into this stuff. I fell totally in love with those interviews. They did Raimi, uh, Stuart Gordon. They did Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell. But the, my favorite one was on Doris Wishman. It's fantastic. You know, she's this older woman in Florida wearing sunglasses all the time. Uh, there's just something about her that made me. Go what? Who is this person who makes movies? Uh, there's one on her, Herschel Gordon Lewis, a couple of. I think I, by now they're probably on YouTube. I think so. Uh, but yeah. and Jackie Chan was on ja- one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but they were really fantastic interviews, and Jonathan Ross was a really great interview because he's so interested, in, and there, none of the stuff existed like that before. Yeah. Before extra features. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, that's that's a great one. And Doris, mm-hmm. I'm so glad she's on this list. It would have been a little ingen- disingenuous if she didn't make one of these. Yeah. Um, well done, Dan. My my number two is the best movie. Uh, I think my next two are both good movies, but this one's probably the best movie and the least something weird but it but it deserves a mention because a uh, the great thing about um, brands like this you would just never know this movie exists if you didn't stumble upon it. and that is a film called the terrible people this is a prison cemetery in london a body has disappeared ah! you want to be killed but the gallows hand will kill you all the awful revenge of a hanged criminal <laughs> the terrible people a Rialto Constantin film production from the famous mystery story by Edgar Wallace. You're wearing a bulletproof vest? Yes. You see, this summer they're high fashion. With inevitable precision, the band of terror executes the murderous commands their chief. Well then, look after me well, my friend. Don't forget this, though. If I leave this hotel in a coffin, you're certainly not entitled to a tip. Your Honor, as I see, you're still alive. May I request that you accompany me to Scotland Yard? I don't want to... Nora, we're now both in danger. Please don't go signing any of those papers without asking me, do you understand? The band of terror knows no mercy. Um. I think you owe me an explanation, Father. Yes, I think I do. Who is the mysterious chief? Uh, directed by Harold Reiner in 1960. And the reason I got turned on to wanting to see this is I recently did the Giallo uh, episode for the... the um Screen drafts. Uh, yeah, yeah, for screen drafts, but also just have always been into Giallo. But I've never seen the uh, the creamy films, the German creamy films that kind of predate Giallo by a few years. And this uh, was basically often kind of quoted as being one of the best ones. I was like, wow, just 
popped up in their noir section. And so I checked this film out. And it's uh, so to give you a little, just a little coloring of what that is, because I, I knew it was crime films based on Edgar Wallace novels. Mm. Edgar Wallace is a British novelist, but this is like about a 12 year period of films being made in Germany. And I guess the reason was after the war. Uh, I guess there were, you know, this obviously Edgar Wallace, if you don't know, King Kong created King, mm-hmm. you know, uh, King Kong, but um, became super prolific and they became very popular post-war in Germany, probably where they're craving identity and trying to figure out what's next. Mm-hmm. So a lot of this kind of, it's like a mixture of American noir and German expressionism. Yeah. And uh, it's, so it's, so it's very, and, and, but with these kind of sexual, some sex, sex and Scooby-Doo-ish uh, reveals at the end. Almost all of them seem to have this kind of Scooby Doo reveal. Love it. Um, but there, but this one is particularly good because it kind of feels ghostly and haunting. Uh, and this one, basically, it's this guy. The, the cops are going for this criminal. He's robbing a bank. They catch him. He's on death row. He's found guilty. He won't take his last rights from the minister. And he gets. He asks as his last request to have every single person, the person who bumped into him at the bank, uh, the person, the teller who saw him, the the uh, the judge. The cop, everyone has to come to his final moments. And they're all lined up. And he goes, so why do you want to see us? And he, and he just goes, I just want you all to know that I vow that I will kill every single one of you. <laughs> and so basically he gets hung. He, he gets killed in the next scene. And then one by one, they start getting knocked off in these mysterious ways where you, where a ghostly kind of figure is doing it. So the whole movie, you're, you're in the same way Giallo's would take, uh, you're wondering, is this actually him as some sort of mysterious supernatural thing? Or is somebody playing... You know, some sort of rousing mm-hmm. trick on them, and it has some great sequences. And the other thing about these creamy films is they are—they make some of these other films clear in their narrative comprehension. This is so convoluted <laughs> that it's like—it's like wow. There'll be moments you're like, wait a minute, what the fuck? Where, where's the story even going? Because it's just that's the kind of storytelling uh, I, from what I read that a lot of them were, mm-hmm. but this one particularly it gets that way. Uh, had uh, you know, a Fritz Rasp who's from Diary of Lost a Girl in Metro- Metropolis. So you're dealing with some of these actors who were like around for a long mm-hmm. period up until then. Uh, this is a this is like a gem of a movie. Like it has moments, it has a sequence towards the end where just it's all in this house and there's all these like gags. And when you finally kind of the reveal of what the thing is, you're like, oh, this is really cool. But it is a little Scooby Doo. Um, but it's it, this I think is going to be for me a major hook because I think I'm going to spend my next year going deep. There's a couple Kinski kind of made his uh, mm. first films in this, so there's a couple Dead Eyes of London that I really want to watch. Uh, but this one is called The Terrible People. Harold Raynor, who directed this, directed uh, about half of the film. <laughs> in this entry of creamy films apparently um, so if you don't aren't aware of what the subgenre is and you like giallo this is a great place to kind of go backwards uh, I wouldn't want to say any more than I've said because it's got a, a fun mystery going on uh, but I like the kind of almost supernatural vibes this particular one has we'll see if other ones hold up so much uh, I think Sinister Cinema has since put out a DVD of it which is another company um, but it's still available on the Something Weird site you can get it uh, download or thing it's, it's a good movie I, it really is um, it's just like a cool concept too that a, a hangman yeah, is going to come that. back and get everyone. Yeah, you I've, just reminded me of um, when Tarantino. Remember that network trio that was very short lived. Uh, it was on cable. Oh, yeah. yeah. So Tarantino had a week, I think, where they let him program movies, and he he programmed some really interesting stuff. Some of which is still not on DVD. Yeah. Um, I can't remember all of them, but there was one he programmed called Creature with the Blue Hand. From oh 1967. yeah, that's one of them. On the, yeah, that it's an Edgar on Wallace. Yeah. It's got mm-hmm. Klaus Kinski mm-hmm. in it. I bought it. It's good. It's weird. I definitely yeah. liked it. I don't know if it's something weird, but if you want, I mean, to, uh, let me borrow in. that one. Yeah, because mm-hmm. uh, also Circus of Fear, which is a better known film from a 
most people that is counted as one of these mm-hmm. films so it might not be it might be a little you know uh, a little more elevated just because of who's making it I don't know if it's Hammer or Amicus or somebody like that but mm-hmm. but anyway the, this was great and I highly recommend yeah. if you're looking for like a, a film that's nothing like the others that we're largely <laughs> talking about is also just surprising and, and again I would never have stumbled upon it if I wasn't looking at the site yeah. so nice yeah I've, I've only seen a few of them and I've never heard of that one that sounds fantastic I think, I think you'd like this one yeah, yeah. I, I need to dig now into more uh-huh. Okay, so uh, it's about time for Ed Wood to make an appearance on this list. And it's not in the capacity as a director, but it is in the capacity as a writer. This is uh, 1956's The Violent Years. Paula, what in the world brings you down here? Hi, Dad. It's been so long since I've seen you, I thought I'd drop in today. It's my birthday, you know. Happy birthday. Gee, honey, I'm sorry I can't be at your party tonight. But you know how busy I am. I understand, Dad. Then you wouldn't look good at an all-girl pajama party now, would you? Well, this certainly is a surprise. I thought it would be. Why aren't you in school? No classes till 1.30 and extra-long lunch hour. Oh, I see. Uh, have they got a line on the girls that did this yet? Now, don't you bother your pretty little head about such things. That's your dad's department. It could be very important to me. How do you mean? Well, I'm up for president of the student body this year, and... This type of thing you call juvenile delinquency could help me if I knew more about it and how to prevent it. If you knew how to prevent it, you'd go down in history as the greatest person of our time. But your interest is commendable. I figure it this way, Dad. You're on the inside. You know that we'll low down almost as soon as it happens. Guess you're right about that. What is it you want me to do? That's easy. As soon as anything happens, you tell me. Everything? Everything. Which is a blast. It was put out on a wonderful Blu-ray from AGFA. Uh, I think this is like, again, John Waters is all over something weird in a lot of ways. I feel like he is definitely a director who is very much tied into the aesthetic of these films. Um, But this feels like the John Waters movie he never made. Mm. This feels like something he could have made early Mm -hmm. on without too much tweaking. Maybe just throwing Divine in the cast would do it, you know? Um, But it's, it's... I also think of it as a 1950s version of Switchblade Sisters, which you know may or may not be a hook for some people. But uh, it's basically the tagline is "Teenage Killers Taking Their Thrills Unashamed," um, and it's about a newspaper publisher's daughter who uh, is a little bit neglected by her parents, and she and her friends turn to uh, a life of crime. <laughs> they not only um, start knocking over gas stations. Uh, but they also start uh, just robbing random people from their cars. There's a great scene where they they stop a couple uh, on the side of the road and they you know get into it with them and and it's implied they may or may, may not rape the guy. I think it's I think it's in there. I think the text is basically saying they have hit their way with him. Ain't love something? Well, what is this, Johnny? Who are they? Don't ask so many questions. You might find the answers. Jerry, be careful. That's a beautiful sweater. Take it off. What are you talking about? You ain't got stuffing in your ears. Take that sweater off. By what right do you Shut think? up and do like she says. Do what they say, Shirley. They've got guns. Yes, Shirley, we've got guns. You're very observant for a pretty boy. For God's sake, Shirley, take this sweater off. Give it to her. Now, Buster, it's your turn. Step out. Turn around. 
Put your hands out in front of you. Lean forward and put your hands on the car door. Come on, come on. We haven't got all night. You've seen this done before. A lousy 11 bucks. You characters ought to learn to carry more dough. You can stand up now. Well, maybe he's got more to offer than his money. What are you getting at? Big, strong, a little pretty maybe, but... Yeah, under conventional circumstances, he could be very interesting. Why wait for conventional circumstances? You got a point there. What about her? Oh, tie her up and toss in the back of this heap. But yeah, it's it's one of those that's just sort of a cautionary tale, but mm-hmm. the, the dialogue is so much fun and the actors are so much fun. I like legitimately think this movie is a blast. Like this yeah. is my number two for a reason. It was lower on the list, but then I rewatched it. I'm like, this movie's too <laughs> much fucking fun. I can't not put it higher on the list. Yeah, it's really, if you're a John Waters fan and you haven't seen this, uh, I can't imagine that you wouldn't have a really good time just seeing these chicks going crazy. There's at one point where... Uh, this woman that they've sort of, she's definitely sketchy. She's involved with the girls and she's like asking them to like go and trash some school classrooms. <laughs> and they were just like, what? You'll pay us for that? Okay. <laughs> so anyway, there's just lots of stuff like that. And then of course, you know, the daughter talking to her dad about, you know, the, the leads that the cops have, you know, so she can get a sense of like what they should or shouldn't be doing. And he has no idea what's going on. Anyway, it's a blast. I really love it. It's only 56 minutes long. Oh, nice. So you can't really beat yeah. the, it's really packed in there, you mm-hmm. know? Um, it's, it's a wonderful disc and it's got a commentary from Henenlotter and somebody else I'm blanking on, unfortunately right now. Um, not an amazing commentary, but I do like Ken and Lauder a lot. So just to hear him talk about the movie is fun. You're a fan of this one, Dan? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, that, that Blu-ray is gorgeous. And I, I'd seen it like maybe three or four times before that Blu-ray came out. And there's just, there's just something about it. That's just the, the gals are, it's, it's, it has a bit of the, the, there's sort of wonderful reckless, recklessness. It's kind of a variation of of like say like something like just for the hell of it the H.G. Lewis film which is just about these people destroying things and just doing stuff you know putting babies in garbage cans and things it's like <laughs> why are you doing that and this is sort of like that too and I don't know I there's something it's 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 the perfect length and it just comes in and it's alternately it's silly and fun and and a bit huh and yeah, then it ends right. and you're like all right yeah. and there's just there's something about it's it it's got a good sticks the ending kind of thing that i like but mm. uh it's it's directed by a guy named William Morgan who i'm just noticing is actually an old school republic western director oh, huh. you know he did a bunch of like looks like Gene Autry and and other films so it's intriguing because it's I don't know the the Edward dialogue really works, and I think he does a better job directing than Ed Wood does in some ways. And so, it's I don't know. There's some it makes it just a very entertaining film to watch. So this guy maybe comes from the fact that he is used to directing these cheap, uh, basically action movies, mm-hmm. and so he knows how to just keep things moving. And uh, that's why it's only fifty six minutes. <laughs> so anyway, it's a it's a wonderful time. Uh, violent years. Uh, so what's your number one, Dan? Number one. Here we go. Well, I, I actually just mentioned the director who directed uh, my number one film here, Jimmy the Boy Wonder mm. from H.G. Lewis. Jimmy, Jimmy J, it's the first day of school. Time to get up. All right, Mom, I'm coming. Time for your shower. All right, Mom. Jimmy, time to get dressed. Are you ready? It's time for breakfast. Time to do this, time to do that. 
for school. Boy, if I had one wish, I wish time would stop. What did he say? Boy, I sure wish time would stop. You heard him. You heard him. Uh, copyright 1966, I believe, made in Florida. Made in the vicinity of the Coral Castle, which is 25 miles outside of Miami. I don't know if you guys know the Coral Castle. No, I don't think so. There's a great episode of the Leonard Nimoy show in search of called The Castle of Secrets, where they talk about the Coral Castle. And it's it's tough to describe, but it's pretty freaking amazing. Hmm. And and the sort of uh, certain sequences take place in it. And it's... I'll let you, I'll let you uh, look it up, folks. I, I I don't think I can properly describe the coral. It's underwater, castle. I assume. No, no, oh. no. It's it's it's. And apparently, it was built by one man, hmm. and it's this enormous, these huge slabs of coral carved into assorted shapes, and there's like a the the way you enter it is this enormous slab of coral that like pivots perfectly, so you can get in. It's really. Jimmy the Boy Wonder kind of uses it for like goofy running around as wacky huh. music plays, but you look at it going, "Wow, that's gorgeous! What is that?" Yeah. So, um, but the the basic premise of Jimmy the Boy Wonder <laughs> has something to do with. Now, here's the thing: you're thinking H.G. Lewis made a kids movie? Sure, why not? I think he he made almost every <laughs> genre. Anywhere, maybe yeah. I don't. Did he do a western? I don't think he did I don't a western. Think so, no. um, and this uh, kids movie is livelier than his other one, uh, The Magic Land of Mother Goose. Which is basically him filming a uh, play, basically. So he just sets the camera in front of a stage and people act. And Jimmy the Boy Wonder is, um, there is a clock at the end of time, or world's end, I believe. And every uh, 100 years, um, it's like a grandfather's clock and there's a big pendulum swinging back and forth. Every like 100 years, the door opens up to let the sun's rays in. And at that moment, it's very vulnerable. And this little boy, this like eight-year-old boy named Jimmy doesn't want to go to school and he says I wish time would stop and time stops and so he along with this woman named Aurora who is played by the um, wife of the man who produced and wrote the movie (laughs) um, they go on a journey and they get into lots of adventures and they sing some songs and as you can imagine Hersha Gordon Lewis doing a musical number I mean it's 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 one of those things like I, I was I was watching the first musical number with Aurora and Jimmy, they sing like a song called like Think Big or something. Think Big! Da, 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 and they're, they're dancing all around. And it's sort of like, you know, um, say like Gene Kelly in It's Always Fair Weather. <laughs> you know the sequence was on the roller skates? Okay. And he's roller skating through the crowds and everything. And you'll see like just a shot where the camera will follow him and he'll do something amazing. And then he'll continue to do amazing things within the same shot. And you'll be like, oh my gosh. How, or like, you know, like a Jackie Chan yeah, scene yeah. where Jackie does something. And, and this is sort of like that, except with two people who can't really sing or dance. And so like, <laughs> it's like the musical number is just, it's gorgeous. It's just, it'll just be like this one long take where they come in and they lip sync to this song that's playing. Think big. And Jimmy will dance around and Aurora will twirl around and just, she just follows them back and forth with the camera, and there are like four musical numbers like this. Yeah, my favorite is uh, the villain we haven't talked about yet, Mr. Fig. Yes, has a song where he introduces himself. I'm going to have to include a clip <laughs> of the Mr. Fig song because it's too much fun.
Mr. Fig is a very snappy dresser. You can uh, Google him. Uh, I, I, I can't quite describe his outfit, but he's got like big fake um, black eyebrows and big like a fake hairline. And he's basically, he's the, what is he? He stops, he steals time, he wastes time. I forget exactly what is. He doesn't, basically he doesn't want them to fix time. He yes. wants it to stay paused. Yes. So he is, so he follows Jimmy and Aurora around as they're taking this pendulum thing to world's end to put it back in the clock. And he's doing stuff like he, he switches some signs and gets them trapped in slow motion land. <laughs> My daughter had a question about that, by the way. She's well, like, wait a minute. I thought time was stopped. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know yeah, why I, there is I, slow motion land. I don't, it's- I, if it's on the way, yeah, I mean, because once time stops, you get all these great shots of people just like on the street, like boing, and they're just like freezing. And yeah, s- they couldn't bother with an optical. They're just yes, standing just, still. Uh, everyone, and, and there's there's one fun moment where you see someone freeze in the foreground and then there are like four or five people in the background and they freeze too. A little late, but they freeze, <laughs> and you're like, I didn't. I thought they'd just keep moving. I didn't realize they were part of the That's film, nice. and so yeah, so they have to go on this adventure. They get trapped in slow motion land, and um, I, I, th- and I, I think the there there was a category of film that I. I created the name for that no one ever pays attention to when I, I give the name, but I'm going to say it again because this pops up in a couple of my reviews. I call them the sheer audacity films, uh-huh. <laughs> where you watch them and you go, "How do you have the sheer audacity?" To? Yeah. And and they can they can they can cover good films. I was thinking of um, I'm going to pronounce her name wrong. Is it Marguerite Dura? Dura. Yeah. Yeah. She, she had a film called The Lorry. Which is her and Gerard Depardieu. Uh, she like reads a script to him, and you just see like a truck go down the street, and that's oh, the whole the ones movie. She directed? Yeah. Yes, that, no, that's, that's right, the yeah. whole movie. You know, and like something like Rope. Yeah. You know, is is would be a variation of that where you kind of sit there and go, "Wow, this is just," a, and and almost like the technique and what's mm-hmm. happening kind of almost overwhelms the story a bit. You might almost say like the end of Back to the Future Two when they go into Back to the Future One kind of thing. Yeah. But then there are other films like Tony Malinowski's Night of Horror, which is seventy minutes long, purports to be a scary ghost story. Nothing happens for seven. I mean, literally, you sit there watching the whole movie, going, "I can't imagine why there's nothing happening." Psyched by the Forty Witch, I yeah, think, yeah. is another one, yeah. um, and Jimmy the Boy Wonder is another. Like just just the fact that the film's only maybe seventy minutes, but it, there's a five minute sequence where they go in slow motion land, and you basically just watch kids on swing sets and jumping rope in slow motion, and well, that's it. And then they step down for a cartoon for like ten minutes. I think it's a little more than more that, than ten sir. minutes. It's it's, it's, it's it, definitely. Too fucking long, which is fine because it's a weird cartoon. It's almost like quasi Pinocchio Disney, but creepier. Yes, it's. But yeah. I'm just like, well, at a point, I'm like, oh, okay. Now, now this is too long. At first, an animated digression was great, but now I'm just like, okay, now this is way too long. Because because it's like halfway into the movie, Jimmy gets tired. <laughs> <laughs> and Aurora says, well, there was another little boy who had the same thing that you did. And it suddenly goes into this cartoon. And and it's, it's, you, you can clearly tell that like H.G. Lewis and friends are dubbing random things over it because the dubbing is off throughout it. And it's just this boy goes on this adventure. And it goes on for like 20 or 25 minutes. And it's only like a 70-minute long film. Yeah, and by the time they return to Jimmy and Aurora, you've forgotten what they were doing <laughs> because you've spent so it's long. It's totally true because I was like watching the cartoon. I'm like, okay, is this going to tie into – no, no, this is nothing to do with the movie at all and it's just distracting me and I'm forgetting what happened. <laughs> yes. So this is this is like yeah, if you imagine Her- Hershey Gordon Lewis making a kids movie, that's Jimmy the Boy Wonder. I don't it's in in no way shape or form is it is it my favorite something weird movie? I, but it's it's to me it's the something weirdest of a lot of the movies and it's just so nutty and I remember when and I don't know who I spoke to. It could have been it could have been Mike when I called something weird once to ask them a question. This was 
a long time ago, uh, 15, 20 years ago, something like that. I called them to ask them a question about something, and I got a guy on the other end, and we started talking. And I said, like, I watched one of the H.G. Lewis movies, and I said, oh, when are you guys going to put out a DVD of Jimmy the Boy Wonder? There was a pause, then laughter, and probably never. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I, oh, that's too bad, because that's probably my favorite. But yeah, I, I, go, I go with Jimmy for the top, just because you don't, Hirsch Gore and Lucy, you expect the gore, you expect yeah. the violence, you don't expect just such a... I mean, there were so many dippy kids movies that were made at that time. You just don't expect it. And it's just so goofy, and it's so much fun. And every once in a while, like Aurora, who like looks like... It, to me, she looks like you know that when you were growing up, the uh, your you know your mom's friend who was always doing something annoying. <laughs> you know, you know, you know that you know that friend. Like when she came over, you're like, oh no, not her. Every once in a while, I look at Aurora and I'm like, hey Aurora, <laughs> she got it going on. <laughs> but but yeah, it's it's a fun fun. And Jimmy, of course, is Jimmy is in. Just for the hell of it, I think ah. the, the boy who plays Jimmy, he's in a, he's a brief scene in that. I think where they like the gang is like brawling, and I think he's on like the side of it. I'm like, oh my god, it's Jimmy watching the fight. But, yeah, no, I'm I'm fascinated by f- fucked up weird kids movies. Yeah. it's, it's an ongoing thing for me. I think this would be a really interesting double feature with the Five Thousand Fingers of Doctor T. Oh, you know, obviously there's a very polished studio film. This is the backyard version <laughs> of something like that. You know, yes, exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I was just really intrigued by it. It was actually one of the more interesting H.C. Lewis watches I've had, just oh. because it's not like anything else he's ever done, and it's really not like anything ever. He's yeah. such a such a strange guy. I like that he's one of the main faces of this company because he's just such a strange character. He made film in all these different genres. He actually, you, just when you want to write him off, oh, he's more of a businessman, and then you realize like, he did all the camera work. He loaded the film. He knew he knew lenses. You're yes. like, that's so interesting. And then he made his fortune in direct mail. Mm-hmm. He's the reason you get junk mail to this day it's because he he i mean he made a fortune off that and that's why you know ended up not being in films it's just crazy and if you ever got a chance to meet him it's still one of the i remember going to chicago flashback weekend or whatever like i don't know a decade ago right before i moved out here and there was george romero and tom savini all these people and no one was talking to Hirsch gordon lewis who was sitting in a corner i went over said hi to the guy having seen these films not knowing what he'd be like and he is the charmingest, and he just talked for about an hour and a half. Oh, I would love to talk to you, like kind of like Cormanesque in that way. Uh-huh. And I'm just sitting there going, "This is Herschel Gordon." Like I'm coming from New Zealand, where we don't meet these people. Like, uh-huh. You guys have conventions here, we don't have that. And I'm just like, I'm sitting with the guy who made Wizard of Gore. This make no sense, and he looks like your grandfather, and yeah. it was wild. No, like, he's he's even more, and I think Roger Corman's very intelligent, but yeah, I think H.G. Lewis comes off even more intelligent. than He's obviously that. a marketing very. genius because that's what his book is on marketing. I mean, sadly so, yeah. passed away in 2016. Yeah, which is. Too bad, but it's cool that he got to come back to movies. So we talked about Gorgo Girls at the start as the kind of end of that first period of mm-hmm. filmmaking, and then you know, 20, 30 years later, he came back and made a couple, you know, late entries. And mm-hmm. it's just it cool because in their lifetime, they wouldn't have been recognized as filmmakers if it wasn't for physical media and VHS and yeah. DVD later mm-hmm. on. So that's super cool. Uh, I'm glad he's at the top spot. Um, <laughs> Trust, trust, uh, trust this company to put uh, the best movie I saw, and probably like a movie that would make like a discovery list on a triple pack with between Rent a Girl and Help Wanted. So it's oh. it's fudged between a sandwich <laughs> between two films that are just basically pure kind of sex movies that you're probably going to be turned off. And then in between, it's literally I'm not even I can't overpraise this. This is. If Sam Fuller made Maniac, it is exactly this movie. Uh, it is called Aroused. Aroused. More than a motion picture, an emotional experience. I wonder what Johnny would say if he knew I was entertaining a man. 
probably say you're a whore like all the others. Oh, nobody gives a damn about us. Just use us any way you want. Get your kicks and throw us away. We're just pieces of meat hanging on a hook waiting for a butcher. <laughs> One sex murder too many, and desperate, frightened women band together to trap a maniacal killer. Aroused. Aroused shows you what you have never seen before. Aroused is a blast of desire. Aroused. 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 Uh, Anton Holden, 1966. This is like a complete gem. Like this was like me going, wait a minute. And I'd looked up as many lists as I could. Like, what do I not need to miss? And this, mm-hmm. I had seen this a couple times. Um, so it's basically shot in Manhattan. It's shot like a Sam Fuller film. It's a little, a little rougher streets, black and white. Looks gorgeous. Mm-hmm. But it's also the most. It's totally a something weird title too because it's mixing prostitution, go-go dancing, uh, kind of our perversions. There's a sex killer who's watching a watching a woman um, make it with a John. The John leaves. She takes a shower. This is the opening scene the guy sneaks in and just before he can kill her he's gonna kill her with like uh, and it's shot really well it's like really just a kind of exciting cinematography uh before he kind of kills her using the um uh the curtain uh the clear curtain uh it will freeze frame and you'll hear his voice like saying something about his mother and like so obviously he has the the psycho hang-ups but this is not the influence of Psycho to me seems much less. It definitely seems much more like a Joe Spinell maniac than that maniac, even though this is obviously predates it by twelve years. There's no way Lustig didn't see this, and I'll get to the reason why uh, later. But it's um, so basically, she's killed. A cop who's like a good family man kind of cop uh, is trying to solve it, and you know he's getting a lot of offers by prostitutes along the way, but has a good marriage. The only kind of sex scene you really see in the movie, actual sex scene, is it's not hardcore or anything, but it's him and his wife, and it's totally normal. It's just like a normal hey you feeling okay honey no, no, I've seen some crazy stuff and then they just kind of make out and start having sex and you're like oh that's kind of nice <laughs> like you don't get to see that much in movies it's kind of surprising uh, and they both seem to actually enjoy it um, but uh, so then he basically the what's cool and kind of progressive this is what 66 is the first woman who's killed a woman you know, kind of like a 40 year old uh, she's a prostitute but like is definitely more senior uh, has come looking for her friend and she's made very clear that they were more than friends mm-hmm. so they're making it very clear they had a lesbian relationship at this point 1966 and it's really really interesting and nuanced the way they do it and she was actually in love with her and they actually talk about their relationship later in the thing and I was like oh that's unique she kind of runs the group of uh, prostitutes there's a bartender character that you start to go, oh, is that the guy? So unlike Spinell's Maniac, which centers the whole movie on him, this is more like who is the red herring going to be? You know, about halfway through, it's, it's not really uh, part of the twist by any means. Um, and then... My God, this last um, so a it's just shot really well. It's, it's like a kind of reminds me less of um, in terms of Sam Fuller. It feels more like Deadline or something. You know, it's one that's a little bit more on the streets, a little more urban. Maybe Crimson Kimono a little bit too. It's even though the easy would be Naked Kiss, but Naked Kiss is so beautifully kind of. It's a lot more still than this. This is a city shot. The last few minutes. So basically, they find that there's mannequins 
in the house of the killer, the prostitute finds us. Earlier, like about 30 minutes before the end, she goes in there and she doesn't know it's the killer's place, but she has a suspicion. Sees all these mannequins and weird heads and just stuff that's like, this guy's obviously some sort of pervert, right? And I will only, this will only be a spoiler for those who've seen Maniac, but at the end of this movie, uh, it's the exact same visuals as how that movie ends, which is one of the greatest endings in the history of horror, in my opinion, and psychologically just utterly devastating and disturbing. They basically recreate that, but with a bunch of prostitutes pretending to be mannequins. Whoa, whoa. And then what they do to the killer is fucking crazy. And I was watching this, and my jaw was on the floor because I was like, there is no way that this is not the prototype for Maniac. So I wish Lustig was here right this second so I could go, <laughs> dude, I need to know. Maybe if I listen to the commentary, it would come up. But if not, greatest double feature ever. And this is a really good movie. This is like, uh, it's it's compelling. It still has all the kind of mod dancing, uh, like city street, uh, street walking, you know, cops investigating. It isn't really cheesy at all. There isn't much of a cheese level to which I, I, I was refreshing after a lot of the other movies you're watching mm-hmm. when you binge stuff like this. Uh, and I hadn't heard of it before. So you're like, win-win. But the ending, and I don't, honestly, it doesn't spoil it. You just, there's something about watching this unfold that you're like, oh shit, this is really interesting. So it's not the exact same ending, but it visually almost is exactly the same. Um, uh, and uh, you know, I, I love Spinell uh, in that film. I think it's one of the great perform- horror performances. Uh, the guy in this is nowhere near that kind of level, but it's not about him. He's like a side character. But yeah, this film aroused again the fact that it's like if I'm this company, this would be my one of my Criterion releases. They've got it on a three pack. <laughs> so when I got the disc, I wasn't thinking much. I was like, oh, I guess I'll watch this one. Uh, you know, thank God I did, and it's my number one by far. Like nice. it's really up there. Very cool, man. Aroused. Never heard of that. <laughs> Um, well, okay, so I got one more director discovery for me, and it's funny because I initially watched the first, I'm just going to do a quick double because okay. one is a Blu-ray, one is you can only get through uh, something weird, but both are great, and I just couldn't pick between the two, but the first time I watched the first movie, I was like, oh, it was pretty good, and the more I sat with it, the more I thought about it, uh, and then when I watched the second one, suddenly it started to click for me. I'm like, wow, I really like this guy. And there's also a documentary about him. His name's Joe Sarno. Uh-huh. Um, and again, I'm late to the party on this. I know a lot of people know him and are very familiar with his work and understand why he has the following. I understand now. Um, there's a documentary I recommend that I found on Tubi uh, for free. It's called A Life in Dirty Movies, and it's all about he and his wife. Mm-hmm. And uh, it you know goes through the early stuff, but it's dealing with them in the present day. It's a little bittersweet, but it's, it's really great, and I do recommend that. But um, the first movie I watched was a Vinegar, Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray of Red Roses of Passion from 1966. I can only stay a moment. Carla, I talked to Martha Cag. She suggested I invite you to the conversation tonight. Oh. oh, there's nothing to be frightened of. Well, her place is sort of scary. Only at the beginning. Once you get into it. Carla, I used to be like you in the beginning. Now it's my whole life. I used to drink and smoke and run around. After I met Martha Cag, I gave up everything I used to think of as enjoyment. You don't date, do you? Not any longer. I don't have the time nor the inclination. But why, Enid? I don't know. I'm so caught up in the conversations. I just don't have the time. Carla, the conversations and the meetings at Martha's are my whole life. Well. Carla, come with me tonight. Oh, all right. Well, what time will you pick me up? 8.30, here. 
Okay. Tonight, wear this under your coat. It's the costume for the conversation. Carla, I'm delighted you're coming. You won't be sorry. And this movie is like, I think you'd really dig it. Mm. I don't know. Bergman-esque is mm. definitely a word that comes to mind. Uh, he's very much an art house auteur. Like, the story of this one is that there is uh, this suburban woman who's very frustrated. She lives with her mom and her sister who are very prudish. Um, she brings a guy over to the house occasionally and they give her a really hard time about it. And she goes to a tarot card reading with a friend of hers and it sort of turns her into this group of women that get together and they're like a witch cult basically. And what he does with this movie is so neat because it's very, there's two sets as far as I can tell. Well, there's maybe three. There's like a house set and a bedroom and then there's one or two rooms they use for the witch group and there's a lot of like black a lot of just like darkness and curtains and candles and it's just really neat to see these women um so she starts going to this group of women and and the main witch woman basically casts a spell on her sister and her mom and they become total tramps and it's just this whole (laughs) crazy thing but it it's just really compelling in that way that it's so beautiful to look at, and the Blu-ray is absolutely gorgeous. It's, I can't recommend this Blu-ray enough, but the black and white just looks so good, and his framing is really artful. You know, there's these great shots where she'll be sitting on her knees in the foreground, and you've got some of the other girls behind them. They all wear these specific uh, sheer uh, nightgowns to this um, events that they have, and obviously you can see right through them, but just the artful composition mm-hmm. You know, there's not, there's no, he, he was a softcore guy all the way. And so there's no hardcore sex in him. And it was definitely something where I was like, I don't know, again, if I'm going to like this, but it was just so artistic in a way. And so still very weird in a certain sense. Um, but just the idea that you had sort of this guy who clearly is coming from a much more art house place. Uh, another, I keep bringing up John Waters, but he shows up in that documentary talking about Sarno. And you can also see how, he would have responded to these films. Um, so this one is just a really interesting little slow burn thing, you know, with this witch thing going on. So I really like that one. Uh, but the one I got from something weird, which I don't think you can get anywhere else, is called Moonlighting Wives from 1966 as well. And this one I say is like Douglas Sirk meets Russ Meyer. <laughs> it's like, um, it's basically like this woman, you know, she sets up her own stable of hookers that are housewives. Pretty smooth operation you got going. That's the way I planned it. And the more you'll play along with it, the better you'll do. Here's a sample. Rent and catering. Well, I like it. Right on the barrel head. And that's the way it's always going to be. I'll need a receipt. Entertainment deduction. Just to keep Uncle Sam happy at tax time. Need girls? My biggest problem at the moment. But I can't use professionals. Pretty young housewives fit in better with my plan. Housewives who can use pin money. If I supply you with acceptable girls, uh, what would be in it for me? 20% of what they earn. I pay the commission. They must be pretty and uh, 
clean looking. If they are, we got a deal. She's she's a housewife herself, and she's just tired of being in debt. So she sets up this like stenography business where these women, <laughs> you know, these bored housewives decide to get involved. And she has this whole complicated thing with like uh, a hotel, and she meets up with like a golf pro, and she's like, "I need you to funnel the right kind of women into this thing." And he's like, "All right, I'll do it." But like, what's my cut? It's just it gets so weird and complicated. <laughs> you can totally feel the circus of it. And I'm not saying that that's an influence or a thing, but that's what. I thought of when I watched it and it's just got again really great dialogue in that same way that like Jack Hill and Switchblade yeah. Sisters like that dialogue that's really just sharp and, and it's just a blast to watch it would be great to watch with a crowd I believe uh, Lars Nilsson showed this at Weird Wednesday hmm. you know several years back now um, I, and he may have mentioned it in a um, film discovery list he did for hmm. me but I was so you know, waiting to get around to this one. And I was just like, wow, this is a blast. This is so much fun. But, but then I just started watching more Sarno stuff and I ordered a bunch of his, like I ordered sin in the suburbs. I already had Swedish wildcats. Uh, I ordered uh, all the sins of Sodom. There's like all these films. I was like, suddenly like, I need to see more of his stuff. Um, so I don't know. I just, I, mean, I think that's the craziest thing about doing an episode yeah. like this. We don't yeah. know everything and you'll never have seen everything but sometimes you go down the track if you watch enough of this stuff you will go it will lead you to something like for me it might be the creamy film for you it might be this whatever it's going to be it's, yeah it's kind of exciting no that was the thing for me to, to find andy milligan and to find joe sarno amidst you know the crazy schlocky stuff i was just like wow this is really neat and it's sad because he's such an artist and he's so anti-hardcore that when that wave came in it kind of phased him out yeah and his type of film is just not as commercial then but in the 60s it's a very racy kind of thing there's a lot of naked women and you know it's it's sexy but not i don't know gross i don't know i don't know how to put it it's yeah. just it's it's artful it's just really i, I just really liked him a lot and i was surprised how much so big discovery for me. yeah i've heard the yeah. name for ye- forever yeah. right yeah maybe american grindhouse might have, that documentary by elijah might have been one of the first times that his name might have come up for me sure. but it, either way i've just never seen any of the film i i think it was the uh, the research the incredibly strange films book uh, uh, has a really right. nice interview with him and whenever i read that i read that interview and think i i need to see more of his film swedish uh, wildcats is the only one i've seen and that was actually at a like a 24-hour film festival mm. and they showed it at about four in the morning <laughs> oh shit so i was it was like they showed like inframan then burial ground oh, wow. then swedish wildcat <laughs> i was like this is and then man from deep river so i was like this oh, is yeah, a really slow, weird yeah. this yeah. is a really um, yeah strange. definitely he deserves his own showcase Just yes all yes. sarno it, it will get you hooked it's yeah. again i'm not a sex movie guy really but i was really surprised how uh, drawn into these i was yeah. you know based on what's well, usually if there's a story and a lot of the softcore stuff did have good stories yeah. or interesting characters so you can follow it it's i always i think of hardcore and narrative kind of like how how directors will always say don't let your main character cry because if they cry on screen then instead of they should build up to crying but if you actually let them cry then it's doing the work for the audience now now we don't need to cry because they're doing it for us but if you lead up to it we're all gonna blubber when i see a hardcore it also takes something out like having the the build-up to sex is like the exciting part but if you actually then show it's kind of like oh well now you've done it there's nothing and also breaks the narrative it actually stops Mm -hmm. moving forward momentum yeah but again we weren't around when that was breaking so it might have been different if i'd been around 1973 and i could have gone to a movie theater and it would be normal to be sitting there with a bunch of people on my lunch break fuck yeah i probably would have tried it Uh, (laughs) 
but nowadays it's just a little weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> I can't do that now. Well, I kind of want to. Why don't we do that after? Uh, so just quickly, uh, let's uh, let's rattle off anything else you might have seen that you were just you know as kind of uh, quick titles that maybe you think are still worth mentioning before. Obviously, I, we're talking about a huge catalog. So I had I I just want to start with two actual DVDs they released that were I I don't absolutely adore the films that are on them yeah. but i love the, the the releases one is that they they did several like let's go to the drive-in ones where you you know oh. you click on the little the icon and then you spent you they show like two hg lewis movies or two doors missions but they did one that was um like a is like nudist colony monster movies huh. and it was barry mahon's the beast that killed women and um uh the monster camp sunshine and that's that's a great one because you click the let's go to the drive-in and you get the drive-in commercials. You get like Ed McMahon trying to sell you like like Budweiser or something like that. You yeah. get the gals on Vespas. You get all the great, uh, you get you, you get a lot of great trailers. You get about like a half a dozen shorts and it's about three and a half hours long. Huh. And the movies are like two hours and 15 minutes of that. Hmm. So it's a really wonderful mix of, um, of, of the actual movies mixed with all these great shorts and all these great trailers. That's something we didn't actually mention that oh, if you buy directly from uh, something weird, every one of the discs had some other yes. thing on it. So yeah. when I'd push play, I'd watch the movie and then it would keep going and there'd be just, and it's not even necessarily thematically linked. Suddenly it's just a kind of a nudie short story or a weird informational documentary. And it's like, that is pretty cool. Like these weird discoveries you'll make with no plan of what you're getting. Well, I it was clearly it. something Mike you know, was doing for the customer, like yeah. more bang for your yes. buck, if you will. Because yeah. yeah, the Jimmy the Boy Wonder has like maybe a half a dozen great uh, um, kids movie trailers, like uh, Little Red Riding Hood meets the monsters and Puss in Boots. <laughs> yeah. And then it has a couple of those K. Gordon Murray Santa Land shorts with like stinky the skunk and Merlin and Santa, like some <laughs> Santa's village. Um, the, the, the other DVD I wanted to mention is um, the Monsters Crash at the Pajama Party uh-huh. DVD. That's uh, that's a David L. Hewitt short that they would show at the spook shows. And at the end of it, you know, the scientists would say to the werewolf and mummy, go out in the crowd and bring someone back. And then guys dressed as werewolves and mummies would run up and down the, the thing. There. But the great thing about that DVD, have you guys seen that mm-hmm. DVD? Okay, because that, that DVD, it's... There's probably like three hours worth of material on it. Somewhere stuffed in there is Bird Eye Gordon's Tormented mm-hmm. as an actual like feature that they would show like out here. But the thing about it is the whole when you see the menu, um, it's all more or less Easter eggs. There's no actual menu. You just see like the opening screen is a shot of like a graveyard and you have to maneuver around with the arrows and there, there's no like play or anything like that. You just, <laughs> you'll see like there'll be a ghost in a corner. There'll be a cobweb in the bottom, you know, and then all of a sudden you'll hit on one spot and you're going to another screen, like in a, in a crypt. And it's like, you have to hunt for everything you can. And, and it's, it's literally, you can spend, and the first time I had it, I spent hours just huh. going through and finding all the bits. And some are like, there's like 45 minutes of like spook show trailers. There's audio. There's Monsters Crash the Pajama Party. Sometimes there are just random snippets. Like I, I discovered the fantastically, hilariously goofball film Dracula the Dirty Old Man from a couple of snippets in there where it's like, what the hell is that? That a guy turns into a giant jackal and attacks a woman in a drive in, but it's like a drive in where there's nobody else, just one car and them. And it's just, it's, it's, that that DVD I think came out in like two thousand one or two, and it's still like it's crazy because I remember sitting there when I first got it, like, what am I looking at? Because there, yeah. there's nothing on it. You just start maneuvering. You're like, this is so much fun. <laughs> Probably to keep themselves interested over there. Yeah. Possibly, yeah. yeah. 
stuff. I, I had a noir recommendation that I didn't make it because I had a couple black and white ones, but uh, for people who love like really this is another probably one of their gems uh it's i I wrote down it's perverted cirque and then i wrote ie fassbender uh so that tells you (laughs) it's a a, we already had one uh film noir it's called stark fear and man it's a good movie like this is like it just feels like a classic noir uh but a little dirtier a little weirder it's ned hawkham 1962 it's beverly garland as the lead and it's basically this woman who comes home to this way she comes home to her husband and he's so upset that she is getting a job um and gonna support herself that he can't get it up and he tries to make it with her that night he's he's throwing at the opening scene he's throwing like his glass of whiskey at her portrait and shatters everywhere and then she comes home but he also has a problem with the guy she's gonna work for and it's kind of kind of a Rod Taylor type who he has some sort of thing with but basically after it gets so bad between them she she you know leaves and finds out oh he actually has a secret life he's from this other small town in like Texas that she didn't know about she goes down there something awful happens to her there there is a scene in and this is if you get a moment like this in any movie I've never seen anything like that it was called a um called a jukebox graveyard and it's the place or museum it's the place where they go to fix jukeboxes and so there's all these weird instruments and it's clearly a real one and Mm -hmm. there's a scene where she runs through there and all the music's playing and a discordant and like out of its mind you're like oh that's a cool like original thing I've never seen that in any other yeah. movie but this is a beautifully shot black and white it's a real noir it's not like some just throwaway I don't know how the hell it's in their mm-hmm. library I don't know how I've never heard of it uh, and it has a couple really dark things that happen throughout it and it's kind of also a woman's picture it's about like getting through does she need a man or mm-hmm. you know how she defined by her husband and it's got some weird violence in it uh, highly highly recommend it as just like if you're looking for something that's not like some of the stuff we've been talking about I saw one called The Black Cat which is um, a oh, very good yeah. interesting 60s version of yes. the post story uh, with kind of you get, you get you get Chuck Berry songs and axe murders but it's actually pretty intense and strange and Southern. I I think that's on the the Severin their um their hemispheres horror oh. set. I think that's okay, one of the cool. the, the like um it's Ooh, a, I have that set. Yeah, I believe it's I believe that's It's really one. well shot yeah, and yeah, it's, it's pretty really atmospheric done, yeah. and it's yeah. uh and then the only one the, the, and I'd written Sadist too cuz I, I like that film. But the one we were talking about before the show started it was one of I think one of the better things I discovered last year which was part of that Nightmare Box but that was The Child yes. um which got is on the American Horror Project 2 box and I didn't like I didn't love the other two films on that. I thought they're both interesting mm-hmm. but I The Child will start and it'll feel like all these others we're talking about where it's like oh what is this it's a little patchy and then these kind of like it's a little girl who uh, is able to control effectively like these demon zombie yeah. things and when it goes there you're like whoa this movie's kind of going all out and so this was originally something weird but now you can see it in a beautiful yes hour, so yeah. I, I do, do that <laughs> I do adore the child yeah so much stuff folks. yeah I mean there's so many movies, telling you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't even mentioned, like, um, if you're going to watch Jimmy the Boy Wonder, watch Wonderful Land of Oz, Barry Mahon's film, because it's it's not as crazy as Jimmy the Boy Wonder, but it's it's one of the most um, uh, uh, faithful adaptations of an Oz book I've ever seen. Mm, I've, I've read all the originals, and even up to the really weird ending, which is completely given away in the trailer. So if you happen to come across a trailer for Wonderful Land of Oz, don't watch it, because they act... There, there's there's basically a witch who says what the spoiler is at the ending of the movie. And they, it's in the middle of the trailer. And you're like, wait a minute, that's the end of the movie. That, that would be like, yeah. I, I was going to say, like giving away like what happens at the end of Empire Strikes Back in the middle of the trailer. You know, that would... That's interesting. 
But uh, yeah, well, we, we, you know, this is our, our little show's tribute to Mike Rainey. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's anyone who does this kind of work. We've obviously talked about Nick Redmond before and people who we, we've lost to our uh, champions of movies and uh, not discriminating against what makes for a movie. And I, I really respect that. I loved this little adventure we had into these movies. And uh, hopefully somebody you listening to this will discover something from it. I would definitely say check out their website because yes. there's some gems. Yes. And like we said, it's it's gonna it, you're going to be less available after December. So yeah, and, the time. but I would also say if you find a few titles you're interested in, definitely run it by Amazon Prime because yeah. they do seem to have a some decent do, amount yeah. of some, stuff there that you can dip your toe in the water. Yeah, you can. But with, some of my favorite ones I couldn't like no. were the ones I actually ordered. Like no, you're definitely and right. I was surprised. And like the the cat one, I thought the cat I couldn't even find a trailer online. Yeah, I'm like it looks on zero footprint except the disc that I have. So. Uh, which is kind of neat, you know, in yeah. this world we live of streaming where everything's available. Yeah, I think so. So anyway, and we couldn't have had a better guest. Like seriously, oh, Dan. Thank well you. done, sir. You're, you're fantastic. You and, and we know, and we'll definitely have you back when we, uh, I'd love to get into your 80s action. So. Oh, yeah, we got to yeah, talk some 80s lot, action. That would be a lot of fun. We can do, do a ninja party. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Ninja party, that is a guarantee. We'll br- invite Madsen. <laughs> That's the part two everyone oh, actually wants. Yes. Is Ma- Michael Madsen and ninja party. I like yes. it. I like uh, anyway, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Uh, we couldn't have more fun uh, in the uh, strange world. So weird. <laughs>